Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 12th of April 2020. I'm kind of hesitant to, to say I hope you're all doing well because we're living through science fiction, aren't we? And Britain was good for the sci-fis, they're very cheap types. So cheap in a, in a sense, and so ludicrous, and the old ones there is. Even though you watched them, there's a quaintness about them, but because it seems so far-fetched that you can laugh at them and their little cardboard sets and things like that. But they did show you scenarios that were really constructed by psychologists and the behaviorists, of course, because they're famous for that in Britain. Even a long-running Coronation Street that lasted generations, I think, they, they had lists of psychiatrists and psychologists and the behaviorists and, and, and sociologists and all kinds of professionals that would deal with, with uh, different facets of life and bring them into writing the, the scripts and putting the real-life situations into the scripts, but also for things to come. That was the beauty of it. Very successful that because they programmed the generations before the big changes happened. So each each big change planned every every twenty thirty years was was put in carefully, incrementally, in drama form. And when the things really happened to the people, they adapt to it the same ways as they had been trained to by the fiction, basically. Very successful. And they boasted about that, too. But it wasn't just Coronation Street. Britain had been doing it for so long with pretty good sci-fis, as I say. The ideas were, seemed to be far-fetched, but now they're, they're, they're pretty well realistic when you see things happening today. It was generally about bending your reality, all completely bending your reality. And Britain had a lot of practice in doing that with wartime scenarios. You remember that George Orwell, for instance, uh, during World War II, was employed at the BBC. And he he gave different programs. Uh, one of his specialities was working with, with, with the group that broadcast news for the propaganda during the war to India and to different uh, British colonies at that time outside of India too, in the Far East, and uh, very successful at that as well. But he also did um, talks on how to, and this is interesting because it's back in the news again, and how to make uh, food out of very little, because we're going into austerities, this is the biggest year plan we're into now, austerity times and training the public in a very drastic, fast way. And in a war scenario, this war terminology against a virus, you see, it's all out there, and for martial law techniques too being used in the public uh, under different terminology, it's the same thing as martial law, of course, is when they can fine you, or even taser you, as they're calling for now, or in some countries are shooting you. I think the Philippines shot some people who broke their quarantine, even though they weren't uh, infected, they just refused to stay indoors. Uh, you, this is what you're seeing today. You're, you're seeing wartime scenarios. So Britain had lots of experience with World War One and then World War Two, and all the other wars before that, too. Because since the Bank of England was created, that nothing but wars. That's really what the Bank of England was for, to lend to the governments for the wars. And the governments had the right then to have a, a, an, a, an income tax bureau basically set up to get the money off the public to pay back the loans. A great scam, and in America followed suit, as I've said before. But the thing is, but here we are in the science fiction, right? And uh, the, 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 it's almost cardboard set, so isn't it? 
where every day, if if you watch the, I, I watch the, uh, the stuff on the internet, if it's working all right, even though they've slowed my speed now. To, for the good of all, you see, we're sharing our bandwidth apparently. With so many folk at home, but we had the same amount of folk at home in the evenings before, so how come it's slower now? But again, we're living in chronology, isn't it? Because this is a time for big corporations across the board to just plunder us all in a free-for-all frenzy of, of looting, basically, uh, that we have to all pay back down the roads. But even at that, we're told that you're not going to ever pay it off because now you're into the new system permanently, the new normal. And this is what they're pushing for now. And it's right in the open, of course. This was an intention before the thing broke out, obviously. I mean, obviously. And it was all done in the planning phases with the big exercises before this supposed COVID-19 broke out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was all done. Uh, the kind of world they'd, they'd want post-COVID, basically, and how they'd bring us into it. And there's no doubt at all about it. Uh, this is the full agenda into the new planned society, the socially controlled, the scientific socialism where experts now guide and rule your lives. It doesn't matter if they're phony or if their doctrines are phony or anything else. As long as they're appointed there and they talk with authority, then we're supposed to obey them. In all kinds of areas, economic areas and, and police, military, you name it, and medical, uh, you're supposed to disobey them, you see, how to live properly according to your betters, you know, like Bill Gates, people like that. People who came out of special wombs and who are elevated into stardom through the big money that they have, because you pay to be made a star, you see. And there's a big club at the top that has all these different uh, stars. In fact, they even create them to be what you think is very very uh, clever, etc. They're not at all. They're front people for a bigger club above them, actually, even though they seem to represent billions of dollars. But that, that's how the world's really run. The so-called gods, the hidden masters, as they call themselves. And uh, they decide in their little clubs at the top how we're going to live every 20, 30 years and where they want to take the world in every 10, 20, 30 years. All these long-range plans. We're living through it right now. Now, once again, I've got to remember this will be a long talk. And I should, I should really remember <laughs> to request that you send me a, a few bucks once in a while, and preferably now, because you'll forget later on, naturally, to CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. You'll see how to do it, how to donate something towards me through PayPal or send cash or, or a check or whatever it happens to be, and how to do it and where to send it to, etc. Because, as I say, times are getting tough for all of us, and I know that too, for all of us. Some people would reap fortunes. They're the sharks who make bloodwell money is running in the street. As Mr. Rothschild said a long time ago, and there's going to be a lot of money to be made off the, the bankruptcies across the country and the world through this planned system, unfortunately. A lot of folk, an awful lot of people, this is disgusting actually, how big plans are made, and they really are made this way for war types and strategies, and millions of people can be sacrificed to get big agendas through. They call them noble lies, and they work hard at it and so on. And we can see how the, so much is going to be fulfilled uh, through this incredible sacrifice of the, the elderly and the weak and the infirm and all the rest of it. It's just really sickening to get a big agenda completed. I've done talks for so long on this because I've, I've really gone blind reading all their stuff. 
and uh, and here we are living through the, this phase that the, the that the Green Party in Britain literally cried to have happen years ago, a few years back. If they could just get a wartime scenario and and people would obey authority and they would live in, in, under hardship conditions and accept it. And, and they'd all sing together, cheerily, in, in the underground as they were getting bombed and so on in London. She thought that was fantastic, and, and yet accepted deprivations and austerity and rationing and all that. And here we are, folks, eh? Bingo, bingo. And what did she have in common with all the rest of them? Well, she was put in place by the same folk that put Bill Gates in place with his organizations that, that you try to use, you know, the Club of Rome. All, this, all these groups are all one big bunch of a cabal, you see. One, all different faces of the same cabal, different, slightly different functions, some of them. They fool mainly the public because the, the agenda, they're on board with the complete agenda of depopulation. They tried to use global warming. Before that was global cooling in the coming ice age. And a lot of them who were who really pushed that out there, uh, like Ehrlich, you know, with his population time bomb and all that, did the, the ice thing. And then they turned to the global warming thing when that didn't quite work out. And Ehrlich's wife, remember, was uh, uh, on the board of the Club of Rome. They're all connected. It's just coincidence, so, really. And they came out with a big agenda and all that, how they to bring the world into a proper way of living where their betters would manage you. Exactly what G. Wells talked about. He was quite open about it. Anticipations and, and so on. And a modern utopia, things like that. He, he was quite all, completely out in the front with it. You, you'll, you'll do what you're told, you'll obey your betters. And they'd eventually sterilize the inferior types, as he called it, she was. He said it was more humane. He said initially we thought we'd have to kill them, but we thought, no, it would be more humane to sterilize them and they'll die off in that generation and, and they won't be breeding any more of their own kind, basically. You know, the inferior types. That, that's been on the go. We're, we're, this is like the second century, this thing, you understand? We're into now. H.E. Wells was involved in this in the late 1800s, latter part of that. He was picked up early, you see. And he proved to his masters then he'd be an awfully good propagandist, and they made him a star. With a lot of help, because lots of them out there really have an awful lot of help to make them a star. And uh, some of them today, they're parading around in front of you, didn't invent anything at all. They're just businessmen, or the fronts for huge businesses. But they're made with stars from machinery. I can't believe how many people have, have got in touch with me, but with, so sick of seeing Bill Gates' face every day on the news. Well, they're quite right, you see, because he's playing the part of the technocrat now, the, the unelected but appointed by the better group uh, as a technocrat to rule over us. Well, I'm not, I didn't vote for him, and I never will. And whatever he, he's telling us we're going to do, I'm not going to do it. And I hope you're all going to be the same. This guy's been at this for, for years. Once, once, you, once you hit that strange ding, ding, ding number of, of billions and billions of dollars, you're supposed to think they just suddenly become philanthropists with the same agenda. Oh, well, there's too many people. They all have to get vaccinated and, 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 but depopulated at the same time, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and live sustainably. You know, with the sustainability thing, the sustainable goals and all that, SDGs. And they just know how to do it, how to make you all do it. But they need a crisis. To, 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 and it's just through familiarity you start to believe in the Aaron authority over you. No, they're not. 
No, they're not. Bill Gates with the, all the usual suspects, you know, Friends of the Earth and all these big paid organizations with literally CEOs with big, um, big paychecks. I know paychecks given to them by the big foundations, these front people, with their armies of NGOs, again, with the top. It's almost like a military. The ones at the top are all paid lots of money. The ones out the bulk down below, they think they're actually doing it um, for the good of the planet and so on, for the right thing to do, because they haven't grown up yet, you see. And they're easily, easily used. Every youngster is the same, in every generation. But today it's an art, and they've, they've been trained since school for, for what's happening today. Little, radical little um, lefties who are quite willing to push for something they really don't understand at all. And they've swallowed the, the indoctrination without a thought, because they haven't been given anything opposing it. And during the indoctrination, if you get one side of everything as you're growing up, that's all you're going to believe, you see. And that's what they do believe. But Bill Gates is funding out lots of different groups, of course, with the usual characters who fund big, big groups of youngsters. And uh, it's, it's fascinating to see the Club of Rome involved in it, too. They're all, they all know each other. They all work together, you see, with the same goals for climate, using the climate as an excuse to take all your rights and freedoms away and, and eventually get you to stop even breeding, at least all the wrong people breeding. So the right people, like themselves, can breed like Bertrand Russell says, you know, he had it all worked out that uh, they could only have a few females as breeders, he called them, selected, and uh, the ones at the top would simply pass on the genes. Well, now they can do it all in the lab, and Brave New World was ahead of it all a long time ago with that kind of idea. But they're going to breed out all the, the wrong kinds, as they say. They'll keep a, a, a few peasants at the bottom for really basic work, just in case anything goes wrong. But uh, for most folk, of course, most folk literally in the West that, that grew up through the 60s and 70s and 80s were trained not to even have children. And were trained that, that marriage was, was a, more than just a downer. And, and of course, they, were, they had the pill thrown on them, the, the, the so-called... Um, birth pill thrown at them, uh, literally like bags of them, I think, because they didn't want girls to have, to have children. And then what come in the 80s and 90s, the, the governments that told them not to have children, you know, just do your own thing and be happy. And uh, the, 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 the government said, well, there's not enough people to take over, and so we've got to import them. And in comes mass migration as everybody else is getting phased out. It was all worked out in advance for those who think it's all happening happenstance. Nothing happens in happenstance. The Bill Gates generation isn't the first of these super so-called gods, you know, the headmasters we've had. We've had them going way back. And if you look at, as I've said before, the, the members of the societies that Rothschild was involved with, including the scientific elite of his day, mind you, in the 1700s, for instance, uh, it's amazing uh, how they were, even then, uh, planning the kind of world they wanted to bring in for the next century. And they set up the, the, the left-wing groups and the, the right-wing groups. Uh, for every part, everything that you might think of, you might like to join, they've got a party made up for you. And if you want to rebel uh, in some way or another, or, or just be rotten as a child, you see, as you're growing up, They've got the uniform for you, whatever it happens to be at the time. Spiked hair, before that it's just the blue jeans, and before that it's bell-bottom jeans and, and beads and everything else. And whatever it is, they've got a, a uniform made for you. It's so 
perfected. Nothing happens by itself in this system. I hope you understand. And uh, and here we are. They couldn't get it all but ram through. It gets living austerely. You see, stop driving all together. It's what they really wanted. Agenda 21, as it is plainly stated there, which all your governments agreed and signed on to, uh, it says in it that no private vehicles eventually. It'll be simply uh, essential vehicles only. That's police and military and ambulances and government inspectors and things like that. So uh, in the meantime, they're getting phased out with, with temporary electric cars in the meantime, until you're locked down. And th- think about getting locked down into your community. Well, you won't need the car now, won't you, if you're in the city, will you? You understand how this, this is the big windfall they were looking for. They couldn't make you do it voluntarily uh, and give up eating this and eating that or even eating meat. So you're, you're going full steam ahead into authority, martial law type authority. To save us all, you understand, but take all your rights away. The oldest trick in the book, to save us all. You've got to allow uh, others to make your decisions. Every decision really for you, like Russell said, a world of experts. And of course, they're all politicized experts. There's front people who get paid awfully well to tell you all lies. With, a, with an authoritative attitude, though. As long as it's convincing, you'll follow it. And here we go into, isn't that amazing to live through this, these times? Where, you're, where you're, if, if you've read a couple of hundred years of, of their books and their, and their different surveys and all their wishes and and agreements and, and uh, the agreements have signed on through the United Nations, you know, all of them come into fruition suddenly. When, as I say, they couldn't do it through voluntary means. Remember what Carl Quigley said, awfully important, Professor Quigley, and because he was a, he was a historian for the, the one of the private groups uh, that still runs the world today. There's different levels of them. And the, the bureaucratic kind that work really as journalists, a lot of journalists, and travel the world and so on. And they're often appointed within governments, the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, he, he was the historian for them. And he said, he said that they, we've changed the world so much that through what we've done. This group, this private group from England initially, running the world now in the CFR branch in America. It's all the same group. Then you understand it's... Um, it's quite fascinating. He quickly said that they changed history so much that he thought it was time that they announced it to the world and the world would simply accept it. He believed, you see, that he in his own class, in his own type, had the right to rule the rest in a technocratic fashion, being specialist, you see. And already that's what he, his job was, was to train uh, diplomats and, and different uh, people in American government and diplomatic uh, um, capacities, basically, and how to negotiate things with other people across the world, superseding the forms of government or democratic governments as you think fit, because they have a different way of doing things in reality. It's not like what you think it is. Uh, the, those who are appointed really don't see themselves as serving you, the people down below at all. It doesn't enter their head, actually. And they think they're superior, like benevolent dictators, that old idea. But Quigley himself said, the, the thing is, you've got to understand, you've got to constantly, basically shape the minds of the public, the herd, the great herd, for what you want them to do, for you, without them knowing about it, really. 
And he, and he said that you can do more in five years of war. Because you, 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 you can take the reins of power over completely and people will obey you to save them. So, so five years of war you can do more than 50 years of propagandizing in peace. Trying to convince the public, you see. And that's what they've been doing for the last over 20 years with the, with the, oh, the world's going to fall apart with global warming. It's just going to fry, yada, yada, yada. And we're all going to die, die, die. And it's all your fault, all you people. It's all your fault. And the ones who tell you that, like Al Gordon, like you've seen all the houses they have and all the electricity they use and so on, doesn't matter. and the jets that they give fly across the planet and stuff like that. Doesn't, reality doesn't matter, you see. You have to be trained to be guilty and feel bad about it. And it works awfully well. Especially if the one the parents have been trained the same way before, you see, they'll oh, guess true. Oh, yeah, we're, we're going to save the world for our children because it's, it's been all disrupted by our, our existence and things like that, you see. And it's all a big ploy by those at the top who want to rule the world completely by themselves. You see? So here you go. You've got five years. I think you get five years out of this. The world will never change at all. And I, again, back to the science fiction of Britain, when you saw the, the, the different movies that they made, like Fahrenheit 451. And it seems kind of quaint looking back at them at the time in the, in the socialistic fashion, where you have the firemen who ground the houses, much like today, you know, the only internet they use and try to scrub things off the net or even fine you for looking at things. And back then it was four or five, one that the temperature, he, he claimed that, that uh, where paper would just ignite and go on fire. And the firemen, when they put fires out, they went round like a Gestapo looking for people who were, who were covert readers, actually read stuff, you see. And, and their, their minds were contaminated about the beauty of things. And they were, it's all forbidden in a socialistic, autocratic system, basically. Um, so... That was their job to find people who were secret readers, who were therefore subversives, and and you'd get their their book collections that they'd got hidden away and in, in, inside the walls and things, and you'd you get the books out and put them on fire and destroy them, and you had to label them all. You couldn't take any home, or you, then you were a subversive. You see, that idea eventually was incorporated into a much later movie. Uh, I can't remember the year it came out, two thousand and something to do with um, something similar, subversion, people reading books and all the rest of it. And I guess that's where they got the idea from. It was called Equilibrium, I believe. And everybody in the system, every citizen too, and every cop had to be take daily drugs to flatten their responses, emotional responses, because emotion's a bad thing, you see. Uh, with emotion, you might get angry about things or, or disagree vehemently about something, and it makes you harder to control. So it's much better when you all agreed on the same things and, and nothing really bothered you really too much. But getting back to 451, Fahrenheit 451, yeah, they did burn your books there in that one too. And in one scene, they show you they're looking for the renegade, the guy who breaks free and and realizes that he, he liked to read books and things, and, and it's awfully interesting and important. And they're after him, because he's one of their own, you see. And they, they grounded the, 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 these housing schemes, typical British little housing schemes, all socialistic, and little boxes, little boxes, one after the other. 
and the people are ordered, or they're ordered from a, the van going around with a big tunnel system in it to get out their homes and assemble with their families in the front garden so as they could all be seen. And they dutifully all complied, you see. And even then, in 4512, uh, drugs were profuse, especially for people staying at home, uh, for home people, because they're bored stiff. And that interactive uh, television where you could take part in shows yourself from your own home and get drugged when you're doing it. In the other movie, the Equilibrium movie, the people injected a drug into themselves. It's the same too. You find the same thing with Brave New World. Huxley knew, and he held hope out, actually, Huxley, that a drug would come out that would make people very compliant and happy regards to the circumstances and and um, without too much side effects, basically. He looked forward to that time because other if people had their own minds, you see, you, you'd take a lot of very careful management to keep them in, in line without taking all the rights away because then they're really rebel. But if you have them drugs, they're compliant, they're happy. And people are, have been waiting and waiting for the drugs to come along and be forced upon the public. But they didn't do it that way. They simply made it legal and government financed it and subsidized it. <laughs> now you buy your own drugs, you see. It's not coincidental, folks. Oh, I'm just in time for this, eh? where folks can stay home and get lots of drink or take drugs and, uh, and and lots and lots and lots of entertainment. It's interesting, too, that sex has always been used for control, as we, we all know. And anybody broke, we went through the 60s and 70s with an 80s through it with a sexual revolution. It was incessant, all promoted from the top. The BBC, the posh, the posh accents, you see, the BBC. And they used to only bring people on who worked there at one time from Eton. That was their favorite place to recruit all their employees from. So they all talked with the posh accents, you see. But kind of, kind of sneeringly, you know, condescending anybody else that was brought on. But they, here's the BBC, the posh ones, you see, promoting to, for the people at the bottom to have, to have sex and rock and roll. And aren't we naughty? We're all on drugs. And, and they literally would bring on people. I think Benny Hill did a good impersonation of one of them uh, who, who he chat right that in that mine. And uh, he was, a, he was a, a drug star. I mean, uh, <laughs> same thing, actually. He was a drug dander star. And they kept falling off the chair because they actually had people doing that at the BBC doing these interviews. And the youngsters were seeing this and they thought it was great that this, this renegade, the real, in reality, the, the real ones, were, were falling off the chairs because they, they didn't even know where they were half the time. And that was promoted from the top. If you, you understand now, you're starting to get it. Promoted from the top. I did talks years ago about that when at colleges and the universities that the drugs were being thrown over in bags over the walls by the, the secret services, you know. And the states, you know, had the CIA groups doing the thing too to make sure they took off, making them free and plentiful. And that's how they really promoted it all. But yeah, aren't we naughty to the children? Uh, and the children hadn't, hadn't the, the brains at that time and the, and the common sense. They said, wait a minute, why, why are the posh ones pushing this on the people? It didn't dawn on them. So he had sex, and, and uh, initially it was pop, they called it, for, for the music, and then it was uh, rock and roll. Uh, so it was quite fascinating to live it through it all, 
and see it being pushed, pushed, pushed because sex is a tremendous thing for disrupting all of the way things were. You wouldn't have a partner you'd marry and have children with. The idea was to have multiple partners. And like H.G. Wells said way before that, he said, if we encourage them uh, to have promiscuous sex by almost forcing the women, he looked forward to, uh, to the, before World War II, looking forward to it. He said, he said if we can get the women into the, into the factories to replace the men who are all fighting, they'll, they'll have more affairs in the workforce with, with the men who are still there. And they're less likely to stay with a, one man once it's over. That was the idea. It was quite, uh, quite plain about it all. There was no real secrecy. They boasted about what their plans were, and they're awfully successful. So they, they knew that if they could stop the bonding process that happens naturally during sexual activity with a partner, if they could prevent that from happening, then they'd, they'd conquered the society. And they generally wouldn't have children, especially if you gave them free abortions and things too, for any any mishaps, even though they had the pill and that kind of thing. So sex is a tremendous weapon because you can disrupt the family unit with it. And here you go. It's, it's there again too. You, as you went through this crisis today, huh? You, you got booze at home, and you got all these articles about how to, how the police are to manage the public. Because they know there'll be a lot of domestic violence, not just the men, but women too. If they have enough booze and they're stuck at home and just get cabin fever at home. And then they're on drugs as well, which they can purchase or have delivered and all the rest of it. And uh, and the police are told to look out and how to manage it, but, but more likely under the circumstances, you know. So it's all, it's all, and then they're getting all this cheap porn, you see. Pornography. Oh, the, the big porn hub is, is given free ones away in some countries and stuff, free memberships. And, and it, it, you can see it all in action at the same time. And in the Daily Mail a few days ago, they had some of the best businesses that are still working uh, during all this supposed lockdown and so on. And it was sex shops, you know, what they're selling. Yeah. I guess the folk are so bored with whatever else, but. It's astonishing to see all the techniques that were laughed at when they were first announced by people who were conspiracy theorists, you know, uh, who were simply quoting from the books by the people who were planning it, who who were all from Oxford and Eton and Cambridge and and so on. Uh, but uh, it's, it's astonishing, isn't it, to to live through it all and see it all happening? So everything was thought out in advance. The drugs, you know, keeping at home. And uh, lots of entertainment, cheap and, and uh, pretty well free at times too. And then suspension, a temporary suspension of rents and, or mortgages for a lot of people as well. They probably lose their shirt eventually, of course, along with their homes. But but uh, at the moment, they can just have a, a sort of fun as they look for more ways to amuse themselves as they're stuck in their homes. So yeah, all the old sci-fis are here. The ones people used to laugh at and say, oh, isn't that ridiculous? And Really? Huh? Is it really ridiculous? Who would have thought a policeman would be telling you to get home? You, if you were 70 years old, huh? what are you doing out? You know, are you a child? No. You're allowed your one short walk, eh? Or someone even, 80 or 90 even. What are you doing out? Some, some young punk, you know. With his little policeman's hat on. It could be a woman too. And that's how they're talking to the people. Disgusting arrogance of authority from idiots. Huh? 
that there's no, that, you know, uh, you, you can look at their examinations. They, they actually have the, this used to be put out and published at one time, that they actually have the, if you have a certain IQ above you, they, they won't accept you. I'm not kidding you, that's a fact, so you can look it up yourselves. They want folk who will just get stick like a little bulldogs and, and, and annoy somebody and, and just like a gnat going around your head until they, they upset you enough that you'll, you'll retaliate in some way and they can charge you. That's the kind of characters, unfortunately, they've been hiring for a long, long time. Especially in places like Britain. And you would think there'd be some kind of embarrassment or shame from the police and acting in such a way, but nope, not at all. They're competing with each other and telling people, talking to people like they're children. Huh? Just amazing. But that's why you can't give police that kind of authority. Or the military, for that matter, because when they get going, that, then the blood starts flying. That's what militaries are meant to do. They can't use them for anything else. They've tried that in many countries as policemen, and they slaughter people everywhere. That's what that's what the military is trained to do. But under the, 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 the new police-type systems, it's not far off it either. Don't forget, a lot of them now who, who are donning the uniforms and have the uniforms on as police, were maybe five, or even at the most ten years old, say, when 9-11 happened, and they're the policemen, men and women now, who think it's quite natural that you shouldn't have be photographing buildings and cities, and, and you have no rights under, under this uh, not-quite-stated martial law of, of 9-11, what followed 9-11, but they've been raised thinking, yeah, they just don't have those rights anymore. And they think it's, it's right that police have whole departments scanning folks' computers and, 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 and police hubs, they call them, too, intercepting information going back and forth. They think it's quite natural to be, to be the, the, the overlords of the general public, the people they're supposed to serve, but seem to have forgotten long ago. That's the world we're in today. And what's happening in Britain is the same in Australia. Australia is astonishing, really, at, this, at, at, at the, the openness of, and the arrogance of those in power, steamrolling ahead, uh, as though, at, and loving it, you know, just chomping at the bit to get going with, with the next phase. And the money that they're getting thrown at them, the taxpayers' money, uh, you know is going to end up in a lot of pockets. We live in such an incredibly corrupt system today. Incredibly corrupt. It's, it's hard to believe how corrupt it is now. Greed, greed, greed. And again, Carl Quigley, who was a member of the group pushing for this whole world order, this, this managed socialistic type world order. Socialism is not for the good of the public. It's for the ease of those who control you. That's what it's for. That's what they designed it this way. And he thought it would be great, but he said eventually the greed factor of rising middle classes as they come up to the middle class and, and the competition in a market for greed and medicine and everything would be so corrupt, he says, that, that uh, eventually the system would fall apart. And that's, that's one thing he was right on. It's absolutely it's happened. The hospitals are short of money, but when you see what's getting spent, not just, forget the, st- the staff to get a massive amount of it, especially doctors and specialists and so on, but the, the, the hospitals, remember, they're businesses and they have big boards and they have investors in them and most of them belong to chains. They're like chain stores. You don't realize that and they've got to get more and more profit in in, in every possible way they can. And here's the thing too. Every generation is trained 
especially the ones who were brought up in, in austerity. I mean, Britain, uh, when, I, when I grew up, uh, literally, you had rationing cards at birth. The rationing cards literally kept going for years after World War II. And then after that, you, 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 you folk couldn't afford meat anyway, if they could get it at all. And if you did, it was very, very scarce. And maybe once a week, you know, maybe less. And, and that was normal, because you had two world wars, and in between you had a Great Depression. Then there was a, a constant Great Depression from before World War One, <laughs> all the way through. And then after it, through, through the Great Depression, and the World War Two and rationing it right up into the 1950s and almost into the 60s. It was about the 1960s, it started to get a bit more pocket money for a little while from, for some of the people, not all of them. And you had wages, uh, price and wages freezes, you know, wage and price or price and wage freezes, they call them, by government decree. And uh, folk just couldn't get ahead if they were at the bottom. And prices still went up even though it was supposed to be frozen, but the paychecks didn't go up. And taxes kept increasing. They even had, had uh, brownouts, uh, which were going to bring back again, uh, which we been chomping a bit to bring in before this happened, this present COVID thing. And here they'll, they'll start to do it uh, under austerity programs. I gave talks on this for, for years and years at this whole agenda because I read what they publish, you see. And there's no conspiracy involved in it unless you t- that's what they're doing is a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy of, of keeping the people in the dark. That part is true. And then you'll often hear about governments meeting behind closed doors. Well, that, what do you think that is? If they are public servants, why would you be meeting behind closed doors with supposedly, supposedly no journalists present? There's always select ones get in if they belong to the right organisation. But but behind closed doors, well, so the public don't know what they're up to. Because you might be after them if you knew what they were up to. You can't, where's the openness eh? and the honesty when they connive together? Hmm? It's all connivance, and that's how we're really ruled. You understand that if you're ruled, you're not governed. There's a difference. And we're now ruled. And when they bring the technocrats forward, the so-called the, 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 the big billionaires that are made into stars, and suddenly they're philanthropists that pretend they're specialists in certain areas, and, and they're given all this airtime by other folk who own the media, and who also belong to the same big club. You understand, you don't have democracy. And you're living through an agenda, their agenda. And they've been quite open about their agenda, their annual meetings and the World Economic Forum, and they all belong to that too. All the same groups belong to each other's groups, you understand. And they're quite open about it. And and the thrill of, of using this one too, this big crisis, to get all the global warming agendas through and the climate change agendas through. And the carbon taxes increased across the board until we're all paying hefty fees in carbon for everything just for existing. Huh? To bring you into total austerity. And giving you new things to eat like crickets and bugs as opposed to meat, etc. Do you understand what this, where this is all supposed to go? Because you're going to go back into the 1800s, where life was hell for most folk. And the lower you were down the totem pole, the more hellish it was, into the 1700s even, and squalor and disease, etc., and ill health with lack of good proteins. That's where you start going down. 
where all the energy, remember, was a techno- the actual group that called themselves Technocracy Inc. back in the 1930s. And some of the well-known folks today are the grandsons of them, by the way, these, again, promoted stars and that you're supposed to all follow and do what you're told by. That was the idea that, that there'd be a price of energy. Everything was an energy price. And money would be energy units. And whatever you bought or, or used would be all energy units. You yourself were an energy unit. You see? And that's what was all based on energy units. And a credit system, like Bertrand Russell called it, different names, same thing. And this is what it's all about. They bring you into it with a cashless system. And maybe universal, meaning mean world credit credit systems, you see. Universal credit system with the new unit and all that. But anyway, um, you'll be dished, dished out by your big masters. Because you're going to save the whole world, you understand. You have to be, it's all for the greater good. And you'll, you'll have your credit, credits put into your bank account, your electronic bank account. Every month, like Bertrand Russell said, and you better be good and do what you're told. Or you'll be punished. They'll, they'll take you. They'll, they'll forbid you from withdrawing money to pay your rent because you won't own much in the future. You'll be paying rents, and you, you'll be on your knees because you couldn't even afford food then. Until you behave yourself and you, you promise to, to you get penalised until you obey them, and you stop being so antisocial. You see, this is the terms they use too. You start if you disagree with any of the rules and regulations, you're antisocial, and that's now a crime. You're antisocial. Disorder, they call it in Britain. So it's all here. You're living in the sci-fis that they put out in the 50s and 60s and 70s. It's all here. And even further back to the 1930s with Brave New World, you haven't got to the utopic Brave New World bit. Utopic for the ruling class, that is, and the alphas and betas. But um, you haven't got there yet. But that will come for the elite, because they're the alphas and betas, according to them. It's all their joke, you see. Or like Prince Charles that says, well, I'm a member of the Olympians, he's said, you know. He's one of the gods, you understand. And you hear these, t- these things being said by these characters, and folk don't quite get it, do they? They really don't get it at all. But yeah, the people you're meant to follow today are they're technocrats. They're not, they're not specialists, by the way. Bill Gates is not. He's not. He's a businessman, a massive businessman with fingers and lots of pies. And he doesn't give away anything for free that he doesn't get back a thousand times over through different companies that make things and so on, including the things for the charitable companies that he does across the world. And his big plans for the world, big plans. I, don't, I can't trust the man at all. I look at his face even, and it so, looks so deceptive in his, in his facial expressions. There's nothing you, I would trust about that man whatsoever, believe you me. Never mind some of the statements he's made in the past and talks he's given. Uh, no, you can't trust a man like that. You, you can't do it. But that's what we're in today. We're given these characters. One, one of them, some of them will know how to live or not drive or what to drive or maybe their vehicles to drive. But all the rest of it is, 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 is technoc- technocracy, basically. And here you are in it now, eh? Where the government's going to give you your universal credits. And they're talking about making it all permanent. I'll just stay home and don't go anywhere and... Uh, I wonder if we'll become like the troglodytes that lived in the caves in the ancient times. We'll be so pale, you know, like, 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 like anemic vampires that need a good drink. And we'll, we'll kind of come out once in a while to get yelled at by someone in a, in a police outfit who will taser you if you, don't, if you don't obey them and get back in your cave. Hmm? 
Maybe that's how it will be. Because look how fast they've got everybody doing. And that was that's part of retraining people, by the way. You make them do incredibly ridiculous things. <laughs> Which ties into, thoughts always tie into thoughts, you understand, which are all connected in, in, in little groupings of, of connections and clusters of thoughts and thinking, because topics are the same way. Look how you've been trained for the last umpteen years, but again from the top down, as to what you see, what you see with certain things, right? You all know what I'm talking about. You can't say what you see anymore. You might even get fined. Because you you say what's obvious, self-evident, and that term, self-evident, like the, the Americans have it in their constitution, you know, when they're talking about things, like natural laws, self-evident. There's nothing to be disputed when it's self-evident, you see. But you're being, your brain has been scared. You're, you've been frozen into denying your own, your own abilities to discern things now. You're told, well, maybe I'm wrong. I thought that was, but you see. You're trained, and then you're bad. You're bad if you if you if you if something is self-evident to you. Some wrong with you, but self-evident. You know, you know where I'm going here. Well, then you take that. You've been trained already into this aberration of of not of doubting yourself, doubting your discernment. That's that's imperative to change. You see, and then the next thing is, you, hey, you're you're not six feet apart. You you lot there. And so you're all walking down the road and, and, and kind of signing to each other because you're get, the further away you get, you can't hear each other talking. If you yell, a cop will stop you and ask you why you're yelling. So here you're going into this new train system of, of something that's utterly ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. Do you know if you're outside? Do you, do you ever take, and you get fined if you do, mind you. So you can't win in this system. If you have little bits of paper, take little bits of paper with you. Just little bits, you know. And if you're outside and, and a cop yells at you, right, drop a little bit of paper. And, and if, if he's down, if he's literally, if you're downwind from him or her, you yell at them and get out of the way because their breath, even if it's 20 feet away, is coming in your direction with a little breeze, right? You'll know where it's, you understand what I'm saying here? Because they don't, they don't get you for, for littering, though. But you can say, well, I'm, I'm just trying to save my life, officer. You know, because you're in danger by, by breathing and shouting in my direction. And that breeze is carrying up way past me as well. I mean, if those folk down there, way down yonder, you might have killed them by your breath. That's real bad breath, isn't it? But that, this is how ridiculous it all starts to get. But when you enter the stores, it's not so bad. You see, it's okay to go into a store. It's in a closed environment. You're all breathing the same air. That's somehow okay. If, you, if you're allowed in for your rations, you know. And uh, and how they've, they've trained folk too to, to fall. It's like, do you ever see, oh, what a lovely war? It's a good satire on how war is and how the governments get you all riled up and use the young young characters to join up and... And, and they're, they're all called Smith in, in a satirical way in the, in the movies to join up and things like that. But towards the end, you, you see a line in them, in a ghostly kind of line, going across a hill, and they're following, they're following this, this tape. It was a yellow tape, I think it was, or white or yellow. And that's all, because they're blind now. They were all gassed, you see, in the trenches. Well, here you are going along the Walmart places now, and you're following the yellow tape. 
and all, just the same way. And he don't stand there, stand here, you know. And he's all these adults doing what they're told. And there's no sense to it at all. There's no sense for it. Do you, do you realize anything you touch, doesn't matter how far apart you are, anything you touch on those shelves, and someone stalked them, hands stalked them, those shelves. Are the items you're buying six feet apart? No. They've all been contaminated in some way by someone touching. It's farcical what we're going through right now. But see, the intent is not what they're telling you. The intent is to get you to accept the absurd because we've got a lot more training to do to you. I really mean this. I honestly mean what I'm saying here. They've got a lot more training. They don't. They can't let this just get... A lot of planning went into this whole thing. A lot of planning... Never mind the, the Johns Hopkins uh, big experiment with, with uh, the, the Gates Foundation and so on in 2019, you know, two or three weeks before I actually supposedly broke out, and, or, or the Rockefeller one too, in 2010, or the military one, by the way, they had for the Navy even, uh, just before, this, at the same time actually as the, as the one that uh, Johns Hopkins had. It was a massive exercise, you know, all planned in advance, but, but here you are living through it. It was just coincidence that all, it was all just uh, kind of perfected what they would introduce, including the social distancing and all that stuff too. Yeah. Just coincidence, eh? That, that was all in the Rockefeller one, 2010, the social distancing and, and how the, the people would have to stay at home and get paid by governments and stuff. Just coincidence again, you understand. The good sci-fi writers or whoever did it for them. But that's the world we're living in, folks, and they've got a lot more to do. They, 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 there's no way. I, I, they're almost pleading for folk to start killing over with COVID-19. They really are. Canada's been bringing lots in, still coming, bringing them in from India and Africa and all over the place, uh, saying that these are folk who get a pension and can't go over there back home to live again, you see. And it's cheaper. So try to get them to come in, to get the numbers up with folk who've got to. That's, that's the only thing I can think of. That's the only reason I can think of. Because they've never followed any any of the, the quarantine rules to, to defend a country. You don't. You never risk a healthy population. That's their first law. You don't. You stop all aircraft, literally all aircraft, to defend a healthy country. If you bring the infection in, then you've just defeated the whole purpose of it. You see? So, you, you know, there's more at work when, when they don't follow any of the, the basic rules, as you well know. And then the kits they've got, all the test kits, are just a joke. Absolute joke. Even the labs are admitting that now. And so many, so many of the tests are getting contaminated inside the labs now. You know, that's, that happens as well. And there's even studies come out by uh, the top virologists and organizations admitting that um, even vaccinations for flu can, can influence uh, these COVID results as well. There's all kinds of things going on here. But look at the incredible push that you've had to terrify the whole planet, absolutely terrify it. And they, they made sure you, you, they were churning out these these pretty awful um, Pandemic and plague movies for for years now to make sure you all got them. Oh, there's that there's that kind of tent they put up there with that white tent, and there's that bit you walk up there, and you know that the folk they'll get in there just get wheeled out there aside of it. Oh my God, you know, 
you've all been trained, you see. So they go into action and they start putting all these tents up and the military put 120 of them up in the States and different cities and they haven't used any of them. They're dismantling them, some of them now. They didn't have one patient. But it really scared the people, didn't it? Because you, oh my God, the tent, oh, we better obey what they're saying because we're all going to die. I'm not kidding you. This is this is how things are really, really managed. It's a, it's astounding, really, astounding. I've got the, the old socialist international uh, plans for the for the League of Nations that morphed eventually into the United Nations. And again, the need, the need uh, and again, H. G. Wells was very prominent in that. He, he he had a big party. He was overjoyed. He wrote a book about the the League of Nations, and he said, "Now he said that we can use the bureaucrats and the technocrats to bypass governments, and so so because bureaucrats in higher levels, you see, um, they they really are technocrats in a sense. They don't serve the public. They don't pretend to serve the public, and uh, they probably don't know most, most of them even exist. You don't get their names or anything. But they're head of heads of all the departments that run the, the country." And he said, he said that now he says we can buy a, a bureaucrat in different departments in Britain can converse with bureaucrats and with people in Germany and in France and across the world. He says, and and let me bypass all the the politicians, because the politicians, no matter how, how they're all roguish and crooks and all the rest of it and terrible psychopaths, that they have to put a pretense on serving the public. Whereas now, of course, they could just bypass all of that. And, and, and converse with each other and get things done and even make their own laws and rules. That's what you wanted. But better than that, though, he had it broken down into departments. And I've got the, I've got the old, old books from the League of Nations, you see. And there are different departments already set up uh, for, for running the world. And the regions, too, that eventually morphed into the ten, ten regions eventually for the United Nations. But, and the Club of Rome even uses the same ten regions today. All connected, it's not coincidental. And the League of Nations also had a Department of Health, you see. They would deal, again, uh, with, with mass vaccinations and inoculations. And they, had a, they were so enthusiastic about the power they would give the scientists now, you see, in the early days. And back then, they, they hardly knew what a virus was. There are all these plans on, on vaccinations from the very young and how they keep pumping things into your, your body your whole life long. Uh, for every citizen in the world, they really had all these great big plans, you see. And they didn't really let, let it go. Uh, and they're still at it today with, with their big, big plans, regardless of um, the rights of the public. You understand, you've got to be trained that you have no rights, uh, that public safety overrides rights, you see. And since you get big pandemics or scares of pandemics or even... Bogus pandemics, and the, pa- the things in the past with H1N1 and, and so on, it happened, came and went. Uh, and the ones went 2009, 2010, for instance, uh, the WHO tried to, to get the, the scare things going, but the numbers didn't add up. And there was often, some of the countries had more folk dying of the flu then than you're having dying of, of COVID today. And the, even the flu. Have you, have you found the numbers of the flus right now that are killing people? You'd be hard-pressed hard to find them. Because they're all getting lumped in with other ones. I've got the reports here. I'll, I'll put some of them up tonight because it's been admitted now. They're lumping in suspected with confirmed. And then they're admitting to all the confirmed. 
are not really confirmed because they break it into pneumonias. We'll add them in too, etc., etc. So the actual cause of death uh, is, is to be put down. They, they're telling them they've put them down as COVID. That that happened again with, with the previous flus, actually. I remember them well. Where they, where in Canada, and I, I kept all the articles, by the way, and I, t- I gave them over the air at the time as that was going on. They actually told uh, all the, the doctors to and, and the clinics and so on that were dealing with it, and the hospitals uh, that um, they put them all down as that particular flu that year. It was a few years ago. Uh, under the guise to, well, I couldn't test them all, just put them all down for it. And so anybody even phoning in at that back then with a sniffle or for advice or whatever was put down as having that particular flu, even when they didn't. Uh, 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 so everything's always fudged, you know, for for the for the big agenda, and we are living through a massive agenda because the whole austerity program, the new way of living, where, where rulers were maybe experts, and and uh, every area would have experts. It'd all be monitored, maybe even chipped. You see, it's all right open, wide open on the right on the cards, right in front of you now because it's in the open. And being hailed by again from guys like Bill Gates that's got a finger in every pie when it comes to making money and business. All for the good of the planet, you understand. And, uh, and, it's, and you, there's nothing to guess at anymore. It's fascinating to live right through all this and watch it happening. And watch the people being trained so quickly. And yes, they, they, they will stop uh, thinking for themselves. Russell went through again. You know, there's nothing new that's happening. The behaviors, the big experiments for the last hundred odd years on us all to make sure that different techniques would work. And they do work on us. And when you deny your own sensibilities, uh, you're, you're wide open to be reprogrammed completely and to even walking backwards if they tell you to do it. They'll give you some ridiculous, oh, well, I'm walking backwards. You need to see it's safer for society, you know. Yeah. And and that's that's really how this is, Russell said too. We can train children to believe that snow can be black, and if we keep them away from other children until they've grown up, they'll always think it's black. And you can bring a whole generation up thinking it's normal. You walk sick, never get closer than six feet, yeah. and stay in your homes as much as possible. It's it's so farcical. And then the police again to the stopping people. I'll put one up tonight too, a little clip from a YouTube where a woman in, in England was on her way to a store for, 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 for a little grocery bag or whatever and had a stop at the park bench and had a seat and along come the two cops, you know. Like, what's she doing there? Why are you sitting there? And she told them, she says, I'm having a seat, you know. And the, and the whole point is a short time. Like, the longer you're going to be out, you're going to pollute the atmosphere. Do you really believe this rubbish? Huh? Do you really... Do you understand how ridiculous... You could put this in a movie and folk will laugh at it a few years ago. But it'd be so ludicrous. There's even a church in the States where to get around the, the, the gathering together thing, they're, go, they're going to drive round in a circle in some field somewhere and have a kind of a service in their cars like a drive-in movie. See, you all these behaviors behind the scenes working, trying and playing with you, trying to get you involved, make you think it's all exciting. Eh? That's what they do in wartime, the same kind of nonsense. 
Then they'll have these these shows of 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 healthcare workers outside there getting applauded by the public. Meanwhile, some of the hospitals are empty, except for the ones outside clapping their hands. I'm not kidding you. And when some of the big stations were using clips, showing you how bad it was in New York, but actually using the, the videos from Italy, that that was the height of of, of disgust and, and how low can you stoop to there's no and there's a big agenda here folks to convince you of something because everything now everything is riding everything is riding on this being pro, uh, prolonged as long as possible if they can get stretched into next year it's permanently here and they've already said that too and the money, again, the, the back, the, when we bailed out the banks the last time and all the crooks the last time, it was a planned bailout, you see, before it all happened. Same thing again, eh? Do you really think you're going to go back to some kind of normal after this? I know the dollar in Canada lost a good 40, almost 50% buying power. You need twice as many of the, of the money to, to, to buy the same things, maybe even more at times for different things. Well, guess we're going to have left after this one. Look, look at the the shark frenzy as billions and trillions have tossed around, eh? And you'll never recover that lot. There's no even a check on where it's even going. You know that, don't you? Just like Halliburton. I remember giving the talks on Halliburton when they went into into Iraq, and under the guys of really building roads now for the for the military and. And, and restructuring the, the peasants' places that they'd bombed in the Stone Age and stuff like that. Big joke. And Halliburton's a big massive holding company, of massive uh, conglomerate of all different subcontractors galore. And, and of course, the money's all scammed and creamed off the top level by level until the guys at the bottom don't get as much of it. However, it was so incredibly bad. You, you actually saw them. There was a video made of these big transports coming in and landing every, every day for about a week or two weeks. Crates of freshly printed dollars from the U.S. Treasury. Astonishing, eh? And then they even showed you the guys who managed it. They took it into a, a, a dugout underground, not too big either, not too big, 12 by 12 or something, or not maybe 20 by 12. And that's where they kept the cash. And folk just came in with bags, and they would stuff it in. There was no receipts, nothing. It was the biggest free-for-all ever. You, you can't believe it. I mean, government... See, don't forget the biggest folk crooks are governments. When you, when you find where they've got investments in and they put their own children into big positions across the world and they're scamming millions from other countries through grants and stuff and yada, yada, yada. So when they pass laws during emergencies, all oh, the billions just fly into, into black holes, you know. Yeah. Never to be seen again. <laughs> it's just amazing, really. Yeah. And all the big hands are out now for the for the, the loot. This is the looting time. And you're left with what the bill, eh? And the chaos. And do you know how many people have probably died because they can't get into hospitals now? For other things? They can't get treatments for their cancers and their operations and hmm? 
whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Now, before I go any further, yeah, there's something out there. There's no doubt about it. There's something out there. But it, it's, and it's killing people, no doubt about it. And it's been used for a big, big agenda, no doubt about that at all. But it's nowhere near as lethal in, in the numbers as is predicted. Like millions and millions are going to die, remember. Fauci was saying the same thing. If you don't follow his, because he's part of the same group that Bill Gates and I hope you understand they have some business arrangements as well. <laughs> everybody's, everybody's connected, aren't they? But uh, if you look at the hype and the hype and the hype of where they, where they said it could happen, it all could happen according to computer models, you understand. It's such a farce. Millions and millions of folks said, and other ones said, they're going to die. Millions will die. And they terrified the public with weeks of this stuff. Ah, you're all going to die. You're all going to die. And they don't give you a God to pray to. They give you white coats to pray to. You see, that's a substitute today. Eh? I said last week, you can take people out of religion. We can't take religion out of the people. They're still looking for it somewhere else. When they supply it to you, here's these experts. Look at this guy's obviously an expert. He's a multi-billionaire, don't you know? Hmm. Wow. He do what he tells you. He waves his hands a lot. And has a little smirk on his face each time he talks. Just believe him. Do what he tells you. But Fauci, another one with the, with the deadpan face, he also has a little smirk once in a while. He said in an article, I'll put it up too, by the way. He said offhandedly, to, and it's a medical, it's in a medical magazine, a virology magazine. He said, he says, well, it might be no more than, you know, than just uh, the, the same, he's talking about the casualties, like like a, a, a seasonal flu. Then it, about half an hour later, he goes on the television and tells you, they say, oh, there are thousands and thousands and thousands, and maybe even bigger than that's going to die. There's a huge drama getting played out right now. I hope you understand it. And unfortunately, people are suffering all right. They definitely are suffering because even a lot of the treatments they could give the people who have end up in the hospital with not just that, but with things very similar to all the same conditions, actually, or very similar conditions, they're not getting the treatments they're supposed to get. And then they've got the bioethicists out, but they're training them too and training you. Well, you see, we have to decide who should live and die and getting the public used to that idea. Well, they're old, you know. Do you realize, do you realize up until this COVID thing hit with this massive mass, folk have died every year from flus. That's normal. It seems to be normal. Uh, winter is bad enough, but, but winter takes away a lot of people in colder climates especially. But we have something in our nature. We don't like to dwell on the fact that we, we personally could die. If you, if you did think like that, you'd, you'd commit suicide. You wouldn't wait for it happening. You'd be so depressed. And they have terms for it and names for all uh, about uh, that particular uh, mechanism that allows you to continue and ignore the fact that you're mortal. It's true, but we all think, especially young folk, I mean, we've all been there. You're never going to die. It, it just doesn't. It might happen to other people, but it would never happen to you, obviously. You tend to deny it, you see. Most, unless you're working in the fields. And you'll see these annual flus go, sometimes 50-odd thousand will go over a bad flu season, sometimes way more than that, actually, within one country. 
disregarded is quite normal, actually. With or without the vaccines, it doesn't make any difference, it seems, as far as the deaths go. And they generally hit, initially, I can remember reading articles on the air from, the, from different authorities years ago, where they'd look at, and in Canada, as an example, in the States, often the folk would get hit first in the, the, the elderly homes, folks, homes for the elderly. Uh, caretaker homes that I think that we looked after and so they're frail to begin with but the big puzzle is why would they break out in these places and so they said it must be brought in by the people from outside visiting them and that's plausible and probably partly true as well not all the time though but then they did tracers and they did experiments in some of these homes and they found out that somehow or other a lot of them were just breaking out in the homes and getting carried into the community by folks who would visit and pick it up there and carry it into the community. There's other way around, you see. And then they would go into, well, why would they start? Well, certain things happen in these homes, you know, mandated things that might be behind it. And you can't say anything about it today because you're under martial law, you understand. And you better get serious this martial law thing because, honestly... Uh, they can do terrible things under under wartime scenarios and lock folk up just for having an opinion about something. You're not allowed opinions anymore, you see. Uh, it's called progress and to austerity and all that. So it was the same thing too with it breaking out in Canada. I really did check and I put one article up, awfully good one, it told you about British Columbia. But most folk can't read between the lines because a lot of things tell you things between the lines of what groups were actually getting it. And the fact that a lot of them came from a different country and the relatives came back from the countries that were infected back and forth, back and forth, all through it too. British Columbia is a big, a big um, multinational area, put it that way. And it's very traceable that way. You could tell what was happening. But, but, but then it really added to the numbers of, of folk infected and folk who died with it too. But they had great success as well. But they even had 91-year-old women surviving after getting it in British Columbia, which again negated the fact that it was death for everybody over the age of 60, pretty well, you see. But the hype and hype and hype, they've made hay over this incredible hype and terror because the agenda is totally, it's just completely unfurled, right? Here's the real agenda here. We couldn't get it all through the climate change thing and sustainability and sustainable development goals, etc., etc., and you wouldn't stop breeding and you, and you wouldn't stop consuming things, and, and, and you wouldn't go into a, a post-consumerist society, and you're post-industrial, but you wouldn't go into a post-consumer and start eating the crickets and all that and the insects. So we're going to make you go into it through saving you all, by terrorizing you all, by getting into such debt that you'll never get out of it. And, and whatever you, you can manage to make for an income in the future is going to be peanuts. And you probably live on peanuts. You may be lucky if you can get some peanuts under a martial law type system. Personally, I'd rather they just they just got rid of the politicians, just move them out of the way, pay them off, you know, and and just have the totalitarians that are managing us all, the technocrats running us, because then you know who's doing it, instead of going through the the pretense that the politicians are there to help you, because they're not helping us at all, are they? And they won't listen to the public at all, which proves there's no democracy. Quite amazing, right? I, I listened to a little 
clip of a, a talk given by a, an ex-deputy Prime Minister of Australia. Uh, and he's talking to Peter Hitchens. Uh, it was interesting. The man seemed genuine enough. He didn't seem, again, you know, you'd be misled too, because a lot of politicians are psychopathic. They'd be awfully pleasant. But the man, uh, he's listening to this. He's, he's, he's agreeing that this, this martial law scenario is getting ridiculous. And he's agreeing that it'd be bad for the country and all that. But as soon as he said that he was a true believer in free trade, I, I, my, the penny dropped immediately for me. I mean, my alarm system went off, like the Council on Foreign Relations type group, the, the club, you know, that they always put their own members into government. And uh, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the British company, or the British um, group that's the grandparent of them all, uh, and the boss of them all, actually, they make sure that these people are appointed into governments to make sure that the free trade agreements are done. The same free trade agreements, they made sure that you can't even make anything in your own country, even you save your own lives. You can't even make swabs or gauze bandages, you know, never mind face masks or, or medical equipment. That's what happens when you become interdependent, meaning totally dependent on some outsider. And the same politicians signed all the deals for integration. So it's, uh, that, that's really what free trade's all about. Nobody forced the countries into signing. Every politician in every Western country and in the Eastern countries signed on with glee against the wishes of the public. But we never learn, do we? Well, we're democratic, you know. We've got rights, you know. We're trained and trained and trained always for what's to come. The biggest training mechanism is indoctrination at school for sustainability and that all parents are bad and that consumerism is bad. And now you've got uh, anti-fag groups that are all paid again. The leaders are all paid awfully well. They, they have lifetime salaries and pension funds for them. And the followers are all just angry youngsters that have been trained to be angry about everything. And, uh, and they're little armies, you see. I'll put up another little clip tonight of a woman who is uh, the head at the moment, the president of, of the big, a big group at the Council of the Club of Rome. And how she's with glee again praising this wonderful COVID thing for giving them the opportunity to push forward with the with their global warming and sustainability climate goals and so on. They have to come out of it. She's just, oh, just having almost orgasms, I suppose, with with the money that'll be flowing. She doesn't mention the money, but you can tell that she, she likes it. They do like money at the top. The people, the people who are the biggest altruistic people in the planet, they're there to help you love money. They love, the communist hierarchy, even Lenin loved money, you know that, eh? I hope you understand that. But uh, you know, this woman praises Antifa and and uh, an Extinction Rebellion group, eh? the other created group by the sea. They're all connected, these groups, and they'll get money from the same sources. And they're all trained from the same sources. Your tax money helps a lot to train them, to train them too, to be rebels. Folk don't know how the world really, really is run. They really don't know. They don't know. There's, not, there's nothing out there that's, that's not organized from those who own all the other groups at the top. There's nothing out there that's from the grassroots. If you're from the grassroots, 
that you might be approached to join one that's ex- pre-existing, you see, that's authorised. But if you don't agree, you, you'll get flattened, you, you'll get cut off or defamed or something, but you'll fall flat, you won't, you, you're, you're done for. That's how controlled the system is. I can remember years ago, occasionally you, you would get asked to sing at dues, you know, these dues for charities and that. And also, uh, and, and a couple of them I accepted without knowing that the, the, all the top communists on the planet were going to go there, you know, all authorized by your government. And, and most of the folk who organized it all, all worked for government. They were civil servants in Canada. I met lots of them. And but I also popped into a place once. I heard them singing, and it was in Toronto. And uh, it was interesting because because uh, someone says, "Do you play?" I says, "Yeah, a little bit." I says, "You don't want to say too much." But um, I saw a couple of songs and they liked it. But a woman came up and says, "Do you know anything really revolutionary?" I says, "Well, what do you mean revolutionary? You know, against the establishment." Well, that that this this place where they where they had coffee and cakes and all the rest of it, and some of the other ones in in the Toronto sold beer that licenses, were funded by the government to set up left wing systems to protest the government. Do you understand? You're starting to catch on here how it works. Unless you're in the right place at the right time, you you won't have the learning experiences. But that's how things really are. There's nothing at the bottom. I don't care what it is. That, that is not uh, agreed upon from the very, very top. Years ago, I gave talks as well about the the fashions. And you can way back in the past, and you see, oh my God, look at Benjamin Franklin's day. Most guys wore wigs, and they had silk stockings. Eh? And you see the pictures too, the, the, the paintings, for instance, of King James in Scotland, you know. And and uh, he, he he had a name for himself for other things, King James. But but he he, he, had, he always said that his, his his one of his legs really pushing off. He liked he liked his thighs. That's what that's what they said, you know. He liked to show off his thighs and his silk stockings. You know? He thought it looked really really good in it. So I guess everybody has their vanity. But every every generation has some kind of fashion designed for them, and and. It didn't just happen by itself. I can see how how the class system evolves. They want to be different. They even talk differently from the people. I noticed too. It was interesting in Canada and in the states too. The ones who go to university adopt a kind of a, a certain way of talking. It's kind of like that, and and it's, they think it's a bit posher than the ordinary people at the bottom. So underneath the pretense we're all the same and we're all pulling together as a country, and that, the class distinction's always there. It's, it's, you find it in all, all, all areas of life and across the whole planet. So people in the past used to dress differently, and they made it illegal at one time in England. That when silk became popular, uh, if, if the peasants got even cast off silk, that was torn or whatever, and started wearing it like a scarf. It was illegal. You, you, you'd be charged, me taking off to prison for impersonating an upper class person by wearing a bit of silk. That was in Great Britain, you know, the, the land of democracy and freedom. So that, that's a, that's where folks stooped to go. And in the 20th century, you, you don't realize that for, for many the ordinary peasants, <laughs> the peasant folk, the working classes that really made things work, all dressed the same pretty much for, for generations for a, long, a lot of the time. 
because they, they, they didn't have the finery and they, 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 they worked. They were, they, that's what they saw. They did real work, you see. But uh, it was into the 20th century and, and then into the, just before World War II, they started to get clothing made, made for teenagers. The term teenager was invented by the communists so they, they, to try to drive a wedge between not just the sexes, you see, that everything's divided, divide, divide, but between generations. So a child now wasn't a child anymore, he was a teenager, you see, once he had that teenage And that, that, that term had never been used before, teenager, you see. And then a whole, a whole fashion was set up for the teenager, and you had jeans, and, and the hippies, of course, came out with their, with their, with their beads and everything, and, and the long hair f- fad as well. And drugs, naturally, they always give you drugs along with things, so you can't think straight anymore. And then, of course, they came into, it was interesting, the Beatles, you see, came out initially as the four young men from Liverpool nonsense, like they just happened to be there, a prepackaged, you know, product. And they had, again, the star-making machinery, here's a Beatles suit, but no collar on it. The Beatles haircut, the little fringe haircut thing, and little gimmicks like that, and the winkle picker shoes, of course, the pointy shoes. But eventually, once they got the people hooked on them, because it's Evans politicized, you see, and got reason for being there. Uh, once they, they had a following, then they started bringing the long hair ones, and then the anti-Saul, let's fight the system, and and uh, there's going to be a revolution, yeah, yeah, etc. And back in the USSR, and things like that. Uh, then you had the protest stuff. Then, then you got the dirty jeans. Then you got the, you know, things like that. And then after that, you, you had the glam, the glam, the glam rock thing. Rock initially it was anything but glamorous. It was meant to be. It was again a protest in its own way, but it was mainly for the music. And you didn't want to. You didn't care about telling you what to protest. You just wanted to go yeah and scream a bit. And so that was successful for. But then they turned it into glam rock, where the guys started to. You weren't quite sure what they were. And they wore silks and everything, and they probably spent more on their hairdos than Fear Fawcett Majors did. Things like that, you see. And, and it was meant to be that way. And then they, they put on a, a very effeminate kind of band type thing. I mean, lip, come on, makeup and lipstick and all the rest of it. Come on, come on, you know. If you've seen Spinal Tap, it gives you an idea. It's a good comedy. But uh, it, it lost its way eventually. So eventually, he came out again with, with the kind of punk, eh? where he just went on and yelled a lot with, with a, a distortion on your guitar, and that was it. He didn't have to really play much. And, and then you had the, the, the spiked haircuts and all that would come out of it. So that, until they walked around looking like coronavirus, they say, with the spiked hair everywhere. Uh, so every generation is given something from it, but it didn't happen amongst themselves, by themselves. They think they did at the time. Even the music, they think they did by themselves. No, no, it's all given to them. The rappers had the same thing. Once, once the, the stuff was put out by the machinery that makes stars and so on and tells you what the fad's going to be, uh, and the big boys at the top, it's always the same people. Uh, and they, they gave them suddenly the rap, you see. And, and they, they, I can remember them even interviewing guys at the time. And they, they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we don't want to do you. And because it was all given to them by the first ones they put out there. And, uh, and they all follow us. They copy. It's all about copying, you see. That's how we're trained. It's so easy to train us. And every, every group is, is given the things to protest. And the things that they want. Until now you have, again, the Antifa groups. 
and in, in France you had the yellow vests and the color revolutions too, etc., etc. They start with one protest and they end up protesting everything, but they're never sure what. And even that's been quashed too with the COVID thing. Interesting, isn't it? So in the Hong Kong one as well, all going to be quiet because, oh, you're all going to die. So. What's happening today uh, is a long process of management and, and readying and even practicing, by the way, and making it happen. Because every country in the West, Canada and States, has been doing massive exercises for the last 20 years together on, on emergency powers. And even going into certain areas, you hardly ever see them because they're so quiet about it. They set up command headquarters under emergency powers, if anything happened, if they could help the people, you know, and take over and manage it, again, in a technocratic way. Not a de- technocracy is not democratic, it's the opposite. And, and they've had these exercises every year across big parts of Canada and the States, with, with the, both countries involved. Uh, and they're already again to do the same thing. And you, you can tie so much into what's happening today, including the militarization of the whole society since 9-11. The, the police in Canada used to have uniforms that didn't terrify people, that didn't look like like, like, like uh, SS SWAT teams, you know, uh, with all the black outfits and combat boots and, and, and combat pants even. No, they didn't have that kind of stuff. It was done intentionally in the 90s to get you ready for what was to happen in 2001. All in advance, of course it was. They even passed Omnibus Crime Bill in Canada a few years before 9-11 happened. Alan Rock was in charge of it. And it was was an anti-terror bill. Nothing happens by itself spontaneously. is isn't allowed to. So we're trained and trained in every generation, right up to the present with a youth brigade that's like the young uh, uh, Communist Party, really. Uh, that's they've been trained, and they're full of anger, and they're ready to go against the ones who are older because you ruined it all and you destroyed the planet and the climate and everything else. You see, it's all your fault. They've been brainwashed into being radicalized, and your tax money made them that through the teachers who know darn well what they're teaching. But teachers are prostitutes. The social engineers, change agents, as has been said in the U.S. by some older folk who are dead now. Charlotte is there being people like that. So we're going through the next phase of it now, into it, which is mandated austerity. You are going into it. And you have rationing. I said the talk, I gave these talks years ago when they want to bring in rationing. And here you go along with it. And the electronic uh, surveillance on everybody including your movements, by the way. And they want to give you rationing IDs and all that, build on your cell phones, etc. And Bill Gates is just mentioning this day after day, apparently, that that's what he's pushing forward. You're going to have this before you can travel. You're going to have that. Well, I didn't vote for this creep, did you? Did you? No. Have you ever seen the movie Idiocracy? That's, there's a scene in it where the, the guy is shot into the past, basically slumbers for centuries, wakes up and into the future. And the world's been run by, by really fools and idiots. And he goes into a hospital because he's got a little problem. 
and and they don't even ask you what's wrong. They just point to things on like computer screens and like like here's a knee and you see these little marks coming from the like it's pain and so like, oh yeah it's not that no. And he sticks all these different things in different orifices and of course they get them all mixed up because they're, they're not very bright these people for temperature and all that and, and then uh, he he was in to see the doctor there who's, who talks like a yeah yeah okay my yeah whoa whoa. And then at the end, he says, pay for all. And he doesn't know how you pay for it. And the, and the, the daughter says, where's your tattoo, you know? Uh, and he, he says, you don't have a tattoo. And then the doctor freaks out and hits the alarm button. He, no tattoo. That's your everything comes off that tattoo. It's the very thing that Bill Gates is pushing with his tattoo thing and all that. It's in a movie, Idiocracy. The folk who did the movie obviously knew it was coming. Right? Look at that. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, you're prepared in advance for every step of what's to happen. And you will see, um, the longer they can keep this going, the more they'll become more authoritative and keeping folks at home. And you might even get deaths down the road if they keep you in for a long, long period of time and not let you out, etc. Folk near people will crack up, etc. But don't forget, and this is something I always keep in the back of your minds. Quite a few years back, I remember doing the talks when, when, the military, uh, the National Guard, uh, the, the, even the Forestry Commission and different departments inside the U.S., all different departments, Homeland Security, were, getting, were buying billions and billions of rounds, all kinds of caliber rounds for their, for their weaponry, and, and stacks of hollow points, which can only be used internally. It's against the Geneva Convention to use hollow points in warfare against soldiers. They use the full metal jacket tights for the soldiers. The hollow points are meant to, to create maximum impact and possible death. That's what they're designed for. And they'll, they'll hit and, and expand uh, and create a bigger hole, more disruption, more shock, etc. And so they're only allowed to be used on your on your own populations because the UN has decreed against the, the, all the, the treaties, the arms treaties, to use it in combat against foreign troops. And there was a big kerfuffle at the time. But what on earth are they buying all this for? I mean, for goodness sake here. Well, if things were to drag out a long, long time and they get more and more authoritative, and it's supposed to go that way, remember, and folks start cracking up, and eventually a lot of them can't get the food that they need or anything else that they need, perhaps, then, then laws are broken and yada, yada, yada. Who knows? But they're, they're certainly prepared for the worst if it ever came to that. You understand? They certainly are prepared for the worst. And they've got all these treaties with Canada and the States, so no doubt at all, under the right conditions, they, they actually send the old NAFTA deals. Now it's the, it's the USMCA one, I think they call it. Um, the, the, the States has come the, the aid of Canada too, if need be, and even vice versa, including Mexico too, mind you. So uh, you could look at all these things that are happening today if they want to push it and push it and push it. And they're testing with the latest gear, constantly testing us all in real time, as I've said before, as they float the ideas from Bill Gates, and etc. And within 10 minutes with the chit-chat on the net and the cell phones, they know exactly uh, how far to push something or draw back a little bit on any particular point or topic. Because uh, uh, they put out tri-balloons all the time, you see. That's how, how perfectly things are managed today, I understand that. But if you notice, at the moment, they're getting you trained that there's no input from the general public at all. 
you don't count. I hope you understand this because you're living through precedence. Think things that never happened in World War I or World War II or the, the entire Cold War where you're supposed to all get blown to bits with atomic weaponry. None of this happened. And half the planet is locked down under martial law now. Never happened before. Never, ever happened. In some countries, you had, you had curfews at night. The totalitarian countries. But here you have people locked down permanently, forbidden to work. You better start thinking about these things and how you're accepting it so easily. You see, the, the psychic driving of repetition, repetition, oh my God, look what's happening in China, oh my God, look, 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 has done wonders to, 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 to decimate the people's common sense. And you've got to understand something right now. History's full of people rebelling and even having a revolution to try to get rights and freedoms from those that deemed themselves superior, who believed they had the right to rule people. It took centuries to get rights for the people. And you're watching it all go down the tubes voluntarily under the guise of the big psychic terror drive you're watching day after day after day. And you'll never get those rights back once you give them up. Now let's just start with, I'll put this up tonight too, the actual plan, event 201 that outlined it. And again, the Rockefeller one as well, which happened in 2010. This one happened one month before it supposedly broke out in China. Event 201, and a call to action. Uh, it's a PDF, you can download it yourself, but it says the next severe pandemic will not only cause great illness and loss of life, but could also trigger major cascading economic and societal consequences that could contribute greatly to global impact and suffering. And then they go into how they have to get public-private partnerships uh, we're basically what we're talking about is how the, the the private sector, the top big big corporations, will be part of the rulership for for managing the general public. Basically, it says the event two hundred one pandemic exercise conducted October eighteenth, two thousand nineteen. Isn't that amazing? It's halfway through October, pretty well, and the thing broke out in, in November in China. We're told it may be even earlier, for all we know. Vividly demonstrated a number of these important gaps in pandemic preparedness, as well as some of the elements of the solutions between the public and private sectors that would be needed to fill them. The Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. World Economic Forum as well. So there you go, your World Economic Forum again, all the biggies that you don't that you won't vote for. And Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation jointly proposed the following. Governments, international organizations, I guess what they'll be again. And businesses should plan now for how essential corporate capabilities will be utilized during a large scale pandemic. They go through the whole plan, basically. Industry, national governments, international organizations should work together. So there's the end of your democracy, right? National governments and international organizations hmm? uh, should work together to enhance internationally held stockpiles of medical countermeasures to enable rapid and equitable distribution during a severe pandemic. 
Then they bring the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization has been a communist front for its inception, actually. Uh, it's kind of comical as well, because the Rockefeller Foundation set up the Department of Population. It used to be called Population Control, just across the, the corner, right, from the World Health Organization place. So it's, it all works together. And you understand what it means sometimes by world health. I mean, perhaps bringing down the population comes into the healthy population part. And some things that Mr. Gates mentioned before um, kind of ties into that as well, perhaps. A healthy population, maybe a smaller one, but a healthier one, you know. Anyway, this is currently um, has an, an influenza vaccine virtual stockpile. WHO with con. Tracks in place with pharmaceutical companies, the big corporate, you know, <laughs> the fascism, here it goes. Uh, and uh, the agreed to supply vaccines should WHO request them, etc., etc. And then they go into all the nitty-gritty bit of stuff too, not, not in great detail in this particular one, but you can go into the whole PDF and, and look it up for yourselves. If you're in, it's really interesting. And the videos are up there too, uh, of I think it's a five-part series often discussing how they'll manage the general public and the laws they'll have to bring in to make the public obey them and all that kind of stuff, you know. Interesting. The Naval War College ran a pandemic war game in 2019. That was coincidence too, though, right? The conclusions were eerie. It says an infectious disease breaks out in a densely populated metropolis and is spreading rapidly, causing respiratory failure and death in its victims. As local containment response mechanisms break down, the cases multiply, it becomes clear that a global response spanning governments, humanitarian organizations, health agencies, and the military will be required. That scenario is not a condensed narrative of the COVID-19 pandemic that currently has much of the globe in lockdown. Rather, it's the premise of a war game run last September by the Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island. And its findings, which are link up to released in summary format Wednesday, reveal prescient and sometimes troubling parallels to the real-world response effort that continues today. But that's just coincidence, folks. It's coincidental. This is called Urban Outbreak 2019. The war game involved 50 experts who spent, probably the same bunch again, it was at at Johns Hopkins, who spent two days uh, coordinating response containment and messaging efforts around the national pandemic. Some of the conclusions, such as the way forced mass quarantine can backfire, see, forced mass quarantine, and trigger additional disease spread, and how the mortality rate is better than the overall number of disease cases in assessing the scale of an outbreak has been proved out through the response to the novel coronavirus. It goes on and on and on. And if you want to read through it, you can read this. It's not a bad little article, mind you, but it gives you an idea of what goes on uh, in preparation for the, the thing that supposedly is a real thing. And also put down this one here. But this one here is COVID Action Plan. And it says here, um, the Global Future Council I guess that's the name of the organization. As an international organization for public-private cooperation, the World Economic Forum, acting as partner to the World Health Organization, is mobilizing all stakeholders to protect lives and livelihoods. Well, if you look at the characters that make up the WEF, you know, World Economic Forum, it's a massive, it isn't just a week, an, 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 you always hear a meeting, it's not an annual meeting. It's a massive organization with permanent uh, buildings, 
a massive civil service running it. They, 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 they sponsor it's a big, massive foundation that trains future leaders across the planet for their own their own particular agenda. I hope you realise that too, to make sure there's no, there'll never be anything called democracy. And uh, of course, the, the, the WEF is just the few backwards is for the few. You understand? Anyway, it says here. The dramatic spread of COVID-19 has disrupted lives, livelihoods, communities. They're very clever. That's what they can tell you, but you obviously know. And uh, all stakeholders, especially global business, must urgently come together to minimize its impact on public health and limit its potential for further disruption to lives and economies around the world. And then they, put, they go into the, their country, our contribution it says, the spread of COVID demands global cooperation amid governments, international organizations, and the business. You've already said that, for you to say. The multi-stakeholder cooperation is at the center of the WEF mission as the International Organization for Public-Private Cooperation. So they've decided themselves with the organization that's going to manage the public and private businesses, etc. That's very democratic of them too, isn't it? And it says here, they're going to galvanize the global business community for collective action, protect people's livelihoods. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> uh, and facilitate business continuity. What a joke that is, eh? Mobilize cooperation and business support for COVID-19 response. And then uh, they give you a summary and all that. You can, you can download it for yourselves and all that kind of thing. And you can embed the special COVID-19 transformation map. This is the age member of, of, of change. This is the century of change, as they call it. A transformation. Hey? Everything's transforming, supposedly. Uh, on your internet or website, enabling your employees or stakeholders one-click access to the latest strategic trends, research analysis, and data. There you are. So, aren't you glad that these unelected organizations are there all working on this before it even started, eh? Just constants. Article 2, it says here that the normal economy is never coming back. Just to make you happy again, that one. This is here. As the coronavirus lockdown began, the first impulse was to to search for historical analogies. 1914, 1929, 1941 is the weeks that have ground on what has come ever more to the fore is the historical novelty of the shock that we are living through. Well, it's a shock and all, you see. Yeah, it's, it's a joke about shock and all, too, but I won't, I won't go into that right now. But it's shock and all. And that's what they're doing, psychic driving. Oh, my God, oh, look at that. Oh, shock, shock, shock. So we're living through all. As a result of the coronavirus pandemic, America's economy is now widely expected to shrink by a quarter. Well, forget, it's a little more than a quarter. Like, that's as much as during the Great Depression. They're all happy about that. But whereas the contraction after 1929 stretched over a four-year period, the coronavirus implosion will happen over the next three months. There's never been a crash landing like this before. There's something new under the sun, and it's horrifying. And then they go into it and all that. But the thing is, they, they don't plan on, on getting over a Great Depression. This is permanent. It's a whole new way of living. This is what they're on about here. And, the, and it's in glee, as I say, that, that, um, that woman at the Club of Rome. It's, 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 it's an ecstasy over it all. Yeah, and no doubt the money is getting thrown her away as well. Yeah, this goes into it as well. It'll never be the same again to get used to the idea. But the whole agenda, sustainable goals, right? Have to be have to be fulfilled. It's beautiful. I'll never let this go. No. And planned or not, you take your pick what you want to believe, but the fact is they're, they're, not, they're in glee and ecstasy over the whole thing. They're, they're open, quite open about it. 
Over the past few days, reading about the major plans for what comes after social distancing, you can read them here. It says uh, there's one from the, the right-leaning American Enterprise Institute, the, the left-leaning Center for American Progress, and Harvey's University Supra Center for Ethics, and Nobel Prize-winning economist Paul Romer. And this person said that he thought naively that reading them would be a comfort. At least then I'd be able to uh, imagine the p- path back to normal. But it wasn't. In different ways, all these plans say the same thing. Even if you can imagine the Herculean political, social, and economic change necessary to manage our way through this crisis effectively, there is no normal for the foreseeable future. And, t- and he was in it. until there's a vaccine, that's what he'd been told, you see. The United States either needs economically ruinous levels of social distancing a digital surveillance state of shocking size and scope, or a mass testing apparatus of even more shocking size and intrusiveness. That's what they're telling you. And then these goes into the different bodies that are uh, all working together, and they feature a number of national lockdowns in which extreme social distancing is deployed to flatten the curve, as they call this nonsense, you see. And health and testing capacity has surged to raise the line, and that's phase one. Phase two triggers after a set period for five days to, uh, for CAP, three months for Harvard. And uh, on the AEI plan, after 14 days of falling cases and a sense of health supply markers and so on. But the whole point is, um, they go through the process they're using here. And it's, 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 it's a whole new way of governing, basically with all these different checkpoints that you must get to before you can get to the next level, next level. And that's what it's all about. See? The scientists are going to rule your lives, folks, because they know better with all their models that they make, you know, these computer models you know, with, with scary scenarios. Right? Scary scenarios. Isn't that what they said with all the meetings for, of the groups that were... And I've got, I read them all for years. Every year I used to read them on the air, the scary scenarios. That's what they call them themselves from the, the different organizations for sustainability and depopulation and sustainable development goals is to give the folks scary scenarios about the climate or they wouldn't believe you in, uh, otherwise. So they terrify the public and tell them terrible scary scenarios. Well, this is what they do, you know. And, uh, and they've got all the authority to do it. That's why they get so much airtime. Also, the Fed asked for BlackRock's help in an echo of 2008. BlackRock advised the Federal Reserve on the purchase of billions of dollars in bonds and securities, and the terms of the agreement were not disclosed. It says the Federal Reserve has turned again. See, that's what they helped bail them out the last time, supposedly. The Federal Reserve, by the way, um, has become the bank to the world. They, they lend out to all the countries, but they bailed all the other countries out, including Canada. Uh, the last big crash we had. And BlackRock apparently is the big con job that, that bails them out, supposedly. However, the, the Federal Reserve is, is a private, maybe maybe in foreign-owned group of banks. And uh, BlackRock is an interesting one as well. So the nation's central banks that tap BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, to help oversee the Fed's efforts to stabilize the bond market amid economic turmoil caused by the coronavirus pandemic. A BlackRock subsidiary will advise the Fed on the purchase of billions of dollars in commercial mortgage-backed securities and investment-grade corporate bonds. Sound familiar? It's the same it's a repeat scenario of 2007 and 8. A decision that echoed a move from the 2008 financial crisis. 
it's interesting when you really dig into who they are, though. So it's quite, you, you just keep falling over and having a good laugh to yourself with the, with the names that pop up. They're all so familiar, you know. Yeah, it really is. It's amazing. This is that the last time, at the time, the last time that arrangement prompted criticism for lawmakers and others who worried about coziness between Wall Street and Washington, as well as the potential for conflicts of interest, because, my God, there's really some amazing conflicts involved in all of this. But then there always has been, really, with the Federal Reserve. Dennis Kelleher is the president of Better Markets, a non-profit group that supports stringent financial regulation. The Fed needs to guarantee there's full transparency, what a joke. So they've already got it set up, they're, they're pretended uh, watchdog, etc. BlackRock's advisory business is separate from its asset management business, which generates most of the firm's revenue. Besides working with the Fed during the 2008 crisis, the advisory division has done work for the British Treasury, the Swiss National Bank, the European Central Bank, and the government of Greece. Well, they can really floor you, can they? Poor old Greece and Italy, too, for that matter. And uh, this is New York Fed said in a statement that it selected BlackRock on a short-term basis because of its ex- expertise in the market for commercial mortgage-backed securities, which are backed by government-sponsored mortgage finance firms Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginny Mae. I tell you. That's quite interesting, too, for those who are, they want to go into the cons that, that go on in the world and the... And the Really, the, the the legalized crooks. I can't legalize crooks because they they're on the, the the law systems too. Obviously, uh, everything's corrupt today. Uh, wherever you look, it's incredibly corrupt. Banks to make billions on small business bailouts as part of the two trillion fiscal stimulus package that was signed into law by Donald Trump Friday. The Small Business Administration will offer three hundred fifty billion dollars in loans to U.S. small businesses meant to preserve business solvency as part of the emergency federal response to the, the pandemic. The loans part of the so-called Paycheck Protection Program will be offered through banks and credit unions to cash-strap business who are employing under 500 people. It's not clear how a company employing 500 people is a small business, but we can assume that this is just a, st- a stealthy bailout of some not-so-small businesses. And that's what it really is. It's the big, big boys are getting bailed out. Uh, borrowers will need to fill out a two-page form and document uh, that they were in business as of mid-February. Lenders will not need to wait for SBA confirmations before providing cash in hand. As according to SBA, there are 30 million businesses with fewer than 500 employees in the U.S., employing 60 million people, almost half of the private workforce. Mm-mm-mm. Some will be shocked to learn, maybe they will or won't, to learn that like any government bailout package, the biggest winners here will not be America's vibrant small and medium business sector, which at best will get the bare minimum cash to, find, to fund 2.5 months of payroll. This assumes that the pandemic will be resolved by mid-June, but uh, drum-rolled um, uh, America's banks, the big boys are getting all the cash as always, you know, that's how things always work, eh? And why it's no longer acceptable to pay with cash, the Australians are urged to ditch disease-spreading notes. As experts, again, this is experts, eh? I hope that school is where they turn out experts. It's a strange priesthood. I've heard about perverts, but I don't know about experts. 
as the experts admit coronavirus could kill physical money for good. They're trying to, make sh- try, try to convince the public to stop using it. So put, rather than ban it, they're trying to just get you to give it up, you see. And uh, the big boys, too, have been putting out their stuff for years in Canada, but off the end of, of cash, must get the folk off it into electronic stuff. Then you can, you can get really managed. Is it the Bertrand, a la Bertrand Russell, eh? The, the government will give you, put everything, they have total control into your bank account. And they'll stop you if you've been bad and, and asbo, as they call it, and a social behavior disorder by saying that this is not the best country in the world. That's it. You'll be fined immediately for you can't pay your rent. So if you, if you had some cash there, at least you, you'd pay cash, couldn't you? Hmm. See, I keep saying if you're, when your choices are gradually taken away or narrowed down until there's none at all, then you're really under tyranny in all, all areas, folks. Australians are being urged to ditch bank notes. Anyway, some retail stores are already turning away customers who use notes in desperate attempts to combat rapid growth of the virus. Well, who's bringing all this stuff you're going to buy into their stores and, and touching it all? Right? Get off it. Get off it. That's all been touched as well. Absolute rubbish. And then you've got um, this one here on... Spain is moving to implement a permanent basic income, naturally, as a measure to help workers and families battered by the coronavirus pandemic. Again, the Club of Rome is pushing this, this universal basic. And they mean universal, meaning worldwide. That's what they want. This is for global government, I hope you understand. Eh? And a universal basic. So we'll all get the, all, our, our funds like Alberta and Russell into your bank accounts. They were pushing that before it happened, remember? And again, the World Economic Forum that we don't elect was making all these statements at the time. Oh, well, you know, we'll have to start just paying folk to stay at home before any viruses. It's all coincidence, though, isn't it? It really is. Has to be. What else could it be? A conspiracy theorist. I guess with their imaginings about it and being right that this would come and, and they could push it then, I guess they were really the conspiracy theorists. Eh? They were pushing their own conspiracies and making their own conspiracies happen. Nadia Calvino, the country's Minister for Economic Affairs, told the Spanish broadcaster La Sexta on Sunday evening that the government was planning to introduce the cash handouts as part of a barrage of policies meant to help people get back on their feet. Well, why? You can't walk anywhere and you're not allowed to. But this is the kind of stuff we're living through, isn't it, eh? And you really believe something's for nothing, eh? And your kicks for free? Hmm... Money's not for nothing, folks. There's always... Even loans by the big banks to other countries and, and the World Bank. It comes with all these different social policies you must introduce in your country and cultural changes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Coronavirus West Australia. New 91 million policing package. I, I put a little clip on so YouTube. I think it's on YouTube. Or it's from a, no, it's from a, a newspaper in Australia. You see a little clip there. It says, new 91 million policing package will include electronic surveillance. That's how they're going to fight the virus, you see, by by studying it, working through you. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. This is the risk. So the government's announced a 91 million dollar police package. This is just Western Australia, government. And the massive investment was announced by Premier Mark McGowan on Wednesday afternoon. And a woman came on. It was ahead of something to do with this. I'm not quite, I thought she was McGowan, but I guess not. Well, who knows? 
and, uh, and, and I'm not kidding you. She starts off by saying how much they'd saved before she tells you what they're spending on, you see. And I had a friend who used to talk, joke about his mum who would come home with all these packages and, and, and you know, they used to have these from the better class shops. Uh, you get these, uh, they were kind of kind of cardboard type, not car- quite cardboard, but heavy duty paper uh, bags and they put the stuff in the bags, you see. And there were uh, nice pictures and that and little prints on them and all that. Uh, but she would come, she'd come home with the stacks of this stuff on a spending spree. And she'd always say that, right? Because they got it from the magazines, what they tell their husbands and so on. So his mum used, used to come home, and as soon as, as soon as the husband appears, you, you wouldn't believe what I saved today, you see. That's, that's, that's just exactly what this woman said in Australia with a $91 million policing package. And you have to really hear this stuff, you know. You can actually see them just oh, smiling, just like, the, oh, my God. You can tell a lot of money is going to help uh, <clears throat> a lot of people here. Of that total of $73 million, it will immediately be invested in to strengthen West Australia's police force, including the recruitment of 150 new police officers. Eh? $73 million eh? Dollars. To, to help recruit 150 new police officers? What, they paying them? Well, it's not for their pay, obviously, right? That's what I'm saying. I, I should laugh when Canada would, would, uh, would, f- would put up millions, like, like 12, 15 million, to give maybe 10 students wind, window washers jobs for the summer. I, yeah, but where did the rest of the money go? I mean, this is what government does, eh? There's 73 million for 150 new police officers. That's really what they need in these times, right? McGowan said the injection of new officers into the force would help keep the numbers up if police officers were forced to self-isolate because of COVID-19. Really? So the fast-tracking of 135 existing recruits would allow new officers to go into support roles, freeing up the other ones who could then go into the front line. In addition to a total of 285 new police officers, the Western Australian government is investing in forms of electronic surveillance to ensure people are not breaking quarantine rules or unlawfully trying to breach infrastate borders, crossing over the state borders inside Australia. So plate recognition cameras that are able to instantly read number plates will be installed at border checkpoints across the state. The police will also acquire 200, 200, listen to this, 200 GPS-enabled ankle bracelets to track people who may be breaching orders to quarantine or self-isolate at home. We look at these 200 GP, the little thing, you look at them up online. Some of them you can get for as cheap as seven bucks. I'm not kidding you. But they're going to spend about three million, I think it's three million for these 200 GPS ankle bracelets. You can't believe it. I'm living, I see, I'm living in a time, I just mentioned earlier, I was brought up in austerity in Britain, you see. I mean, real austerity too. It wasn't, it was the middle class. Never mind the steer times. So my idea of money is, is I, I, and what, what a normal income today is, is so incredibly low compared to most folk today. They think nothing of you know thousands of bucks here and thousands of bucks there. So I, I get kind of shocked, but uh, you know, 
But there you go. Anyway, it says there are currently 30 regional road checkpoints across Western Australia. This is, this is, this is, this is like, the, again, this is like the Stasi, isn't it? And checkpoints, and just like the Soviet Union used to be too. There are checkpoints everywhere and streets at times, you know, for no reasons. And, and the money, the, the millions are spending just, just for make-work programs for the cops, eh? So, so it's, um, since April the 9th, when the state was carved up into nine separate zones, there you go, that's what they're doing totalitarian states, put in these zones. 106,029 people have pulled up at border checkpoints. Of those, 104,760 have met the exemption criteria, but 13, well, 1,313 have been refused an order to turn around, a total of 1%. Oh, that's really worth it, eh? Well, gee whiz, eh? There you go. Thirteen, thirteen have been refused. Interesting. McGowan praised West Australians' high level of compliance. Again, I love that. Under war times and that, you got to comply and, 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 and do your own. But it reminded people that going for a drive down south or up to Lansillan was no longer allowed over the Easter break. It wasn't allowed. See, even the wording in it, it's no longer allowed over the Easter break, children. Only essential travel is permitted and traveling outside your regional area is not permitted, he said. The Easter is going to be like none other. It'll be very different, no kidding. I tell you. And then you've got this one here, let's see. Mm-mm. How war with coronavirus could lead to lasting government overreach. Mm-hmm. Again, you're getting the message, getting the message, getting the message, eh? Under war-like circumstances, history shows that it's a very fine line between protecting citizens and eroding rights, and that line can be exploited or extended in times of great uncertainty. Well, that's the whole plan, obviously. That's why it was all happening. So say world leaders as countries struggle to cope with the coronavirus pandemic. The unprecedented outbreak has pushed governments to take extraordinary measures unheard of in peacetime, including closing borders and instituting uh, nationwide lockdowns. People all over the globe are increasingly required to carry permits or face fines for leaving their homes. Aye, 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 tell you. This crisis could ultimately have an impact as serious as world war in terms of the number of people affected, in terms of the impact on the economy and on people's way of life, the former U.S. ambassador to NATO, Nicholas Burns, told the world. That's why he's a bright guy. He's, he, he says what's going to happen. If you can't go and work and stuff, you know, it's going to impact the economy and affect the way of life. Eh? You know, so, well, that's intelligence there. And governments have gotten the message. French President Emmanuel Macron said Monday, the invisible spread of the virus requires a call to arms as to lock down the country. Well, he had to do it because he was losing his country with all the riots before it all happened, obviously. And this saga goes on and on. Anyway, Germany has to introduce coronavirus immunity certificates for recovered public. They're copying China and the, from the WHO and the, and the Bill Gates big plan, you see. I'd go, you tell me go and stuff it, because you never had to get uh, an immunity certificate for the flu and getting over that, did you? So, uh, the same for anything else. Once this starts, this is to go, be a whole agenda, and go right into your ID card, and it'll be imprinted, and Bill Gates wants it injected in your, or tattooed on you. <laughs> go and stuff it, Bill Gates. Uh, 
And so they're, this is the researchers. The researchers are planning it. Well, I tell the researchers to go off. Mind you, poor Germany doesn't have a democracy. So they've been, they've been hammered for a long, long time, and and uh, and that they've had the ex-Stasi characters who've been trained by the Stasi running them for years. But uh, it says the documents are part of a research project being conducted at the Helmholtz Center for Infection Research in Brunswick, which will conduct blood tests amongst general public for antibodies produced against the virus. The antibodies will show which of the participants have had the virus and have recovered, according to a report by the German magazine Der Spiegel. Around 100,000 people will be tested at a time and certificates issued to those found positive. If you start doing these things, I, they're going to make it mandatory. They always get the, they always get the usual, you know, the, the, the curious cows and cattle nosy up gradually and when they get enough to do it then they make things mandatory well they all accept it you know that's how they do things folks you know and you always get the ones going on first the same kind of bring apples for the teachers you know what I mean you know those characters mm, the snitchers those characters well it's the same thing again here and and they'll say oh look how good we are we've done it all and I'm, I'm, I'm clear now even though it can't actually prove that you're that they've got antibodies for that exact virus, folks, you know, but that doesn't matter. Facts don't really matter. You see. Mm-mm-mm. And then, of course, you have to have all the new vaccines that come along the pike. Nothing to do with this one that they've got on the list that they want to make money off of. And this one here: Mecklenburg County residents fell hundreds of stay-at-home order complaints. That's North Carolina. And it shows you that the data from Mecklenburg County shows that some residents are growing tired of people violating the stay-at-home order. And now they're taking matters in their own hands. Oh. Oh. So so there was put in place last Thursday. You're still allowed to do essential activities like go to grocery shopping, visit the doctor, or go to a park to get exercise. You're required to stay six feet apart from other people. In Britain, you, you can't even go to the park now unless you keep moving. You see, you can't sit down for a break. Uh, it's not allowed. Since the order was put in place, more than 600 uh, complaint violations have been made through the Charmec 311 Centre. County, county leaders stressed that you should not call 911 to file a complaint. I guess other folk are complaining about their folk, I suppose that's what it is. Eh? Hard to tell. It, it's astonishing. It really is amazing. You understand. Uh, uh, what are they expecting you to do? You're breathing, eh? If you're nowhere near anybody, what's your, what's your problem if you're sitting uh, on a park bench? Or on the grass, for that matter? What does it matter? There's no one near you. In fact, the cops have got more of a problem. They're more a danger to anybody because they'll get closer than six feet when they come to annoy you. They could be carrying it and passing it on. But see, facts don't matter and sense doesn't matter with this, you see. It's the training of the, of the public for things to come. That's what it's about. And they're, you know, they're even charging people. Uh, the, the, in some places where the cops have noticed that, that uh, you're walking to a grocery store when they know that you've got a car. They want you to drive the car there. huh? See, you, can, you understand, they can interpret for every way they want according to the county. And, and cops chomp at the bit for that kind of authority, you know. Why are you driving your car? Well, I thought it'd be safer in that way, you know. Be. But here you are, he's, he's got his face stuck inside the car asking you questions, eh? That's, that's really healthy. But 
this is the sort of thing that's happening. So, so, so you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. It's a fear exercise to instill terror in the public. This is what this is how it's done. That's how it's done, folks. Aren't you fed up with this this massive psychological tactics that are used on you? As though you're some animal in a maze. That's why that's how they see you. And you go here and you get shocked, and you go there and you get this like Skinner's box, you know. Shocked, shocked, and, and, and Pavlov, the great, the great scientist Pavlov that made a, a fortune and, and a great name for himself, shocking and, and terrifying and into the death of animals. Uh, psychopath, psychopath. Eh? Anyway, this is where it's going. And, and mind you, too, if I've been in the warm climates or driving, have you noticed their windows are down? And they're breathing. My God, they're breathing. And that, that's getting sucked away and along the streets of the breath. Oh, my God, eh? See, it's, all, it's, a, it's complete farcical nonsense. And another one, too, is um, home confinement, movement, and gathering direction. Direction from chief health officer in accordance with emergency powers arising from the declared public health emergency. Oh, it's all authoritative stuff and, and scary stuff and... Direction, home, confinement, movement, and gathering, part one, etc., etc. This is Queensland, Australia. This is their, they've a preamble and everything about it, and a citation. Public health direction may be referred to as the home confinement movement and gathering direction. This is, this is the stuff that petty little bureaucrats dream up, eh? With your tax money and restrictions in private residence directions. As well, oh my God! Here we go. One, oh yeah, a whole list of them here. Home confinement requirements in Queensland, and they like a whole list to, to obtain medical treatment. Maybe maybe you can go or to engage in physical exercise, but it's a short walk. Maybe, maybe you can go out and shake a leg and run back in again. To perform work or volunteering or to carry out to conduct as, as an essential business activity or undertaking, blah blah. To visit another person's residence in accordance with paragraph nine. You, you, every citizen is supposed to read this rubbish. Yeah? Paragraph 9, subsection of what? Uh, education and early childhood workers may travel to and from their home centre over the term break to visit a terminally ill relative or attend a funeral or a wedding subject to any applicable restrictions under other relevant... You understand? You have papers with you and stuff to prove where you're going. Ay, ay, ay. The super Soviet. See, this is more refined Soviet you're into now, folks. You, you, you go into the whole areas which the Soviet era didn't manage themselves. And you're doing it all voluntarily until it's mandatory. Then it'll be normal, you see. Yeah. Another one, too. Um, it's supposed to stay. They, they want you. This is going forever until they find a vaccine a la Bill Gates, you see. You know, Bill Gates is really saying that. And uh, New South Wales Premier Gladys Birkelian, Birkelian, strange name, can't really pronounce it properly, uh, has, or I don't know how it's pronounced, has warned the state's tough uh, coronavirus social distancing restrictions will stay until a vaccine is found. You understand? That's like forever, folks. It says, after Australia's death toll climbed to 40, 46. 40, there's more folk die of the common cold. 46. That's incredible. It's, what's happening is incredible, folks. But it's a big agenda, eh? Yeah, big agenda. Hmm? 
and its key points, there have been 21 coronavirus deaths. 21. And 2,686 cases, That's conf- I guess that's the test, you know. Which means nothing. We can't correlate the deaths to the cases here because most cases are not tested. And they, 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 they even say in other articles they could be 100 times, 100 people to everyone that's tested that, that also has a current. Most folk don't get any symptoms at all, not even the slightest ones, you know. So they, they're determined to make sure it's permanent, eh? And unfortunately, lots of folk go along with these things, and, and that's what happens. Cancer surgeries and organ transplants being put off for coronaviruses, and can they even wait? Well, what do you think, eh? So they're talking about cancer patients, and they have stories here about certain people who can't, who can't get treatment, and surgeons that, are, that can't even treat them. So there's breast cancers, are malignant, and all the rest of it. Every day counts, actually. <laughs> Cells start spreading, and yada, yada, yada. But there you go. They, they, all hospitals are in the same. I'll, I'll put up a little link, too, to a clip in Bristol in England where a guy and, and a couple of people from his family drive into a a hospital car park, and they go into the underground part and the whole thing, and they drive past the uh, uh, admissions and the emergency and so on. And everything's empty. There's nothing that The only people they see are a couple of unemployed folk dressed their gowns and that who will do any testing for anybody who wants to do a drive-through just out of curiosity. There's nothing happening. And yet there's no, you know, everything's closed down. All the regular surgeries and stuff in these hospitals are all closed. All we understand what's happening here. That's quite interesting, it's what is happening. It really is interesting, that's the whole, the whole way you see it, it's interesting. I really do want to say this. One of the biggest technocrats up there, technocracy, and uh, the trilateral group, of course, which is a specialised group that comes, they're generally picked from the Council on Foreign Relations in America. Uh, but the trilateral group really appoint high-level technocrats and banking in different areas and social engineering to different countries. They slip them into even running countries at times, like they did when they crashed the, the, uh, Italy and Greece. They put two technocrats straight in there to run the country, uh, like dictators, basically. But one of the top ones we've seen in that, that level of, of engineering wars and manipulating people and all the rest of it, it was Henry Kissinger. And, of course, Henry, who really, if you really do well, you're, you're given a lot of good life extension. You really, are, you really are, honestly. I mean, I mean, Henry Kissinger is not known to be a good jogger or exerciser, but he's still going yet, you know. And out he comes on cue, uh, and it's called um, Forever Alter the World Order. The U.S. must protect its citizens from disease while starting the urgent work of planning for a new epoch. So there you go. Here's it from the horse's mouth. The work of planning for a new epoch. Henry Kissinger, April the 3rd, 2020, 6.8pm. And it says the USNS Comfort Hospital ship, that's what they show you on the picture, I guess. You know, I don't know the picture, see? March 30th. And it says, um, the surreal atmosphere of the COVID-19 pandemic calls to mind how I felt as a young man in the 84th Infantry Division during the Battle of the Bulge. I think he was talking about his tummy at the time, you know. But uh, actually, you see him, he was a driver. I think he even was one of the drivers for Eisenhower. Uh, you can see pictures, old pictures. I'm, I'm sure that's him. 
it's, it's definitely uh, drove different journals around. It says, now as in late 1944, there's a sense of, in quote, danger aimed not at any particular person, but striking randomly and with devastation. But there's an important difference between that faraway time and ours. American endurance then was fortified by an ultimate national purpose. Now in a divided country. Interesting, eh? Understand, these guys never have, they've got their fingers in all the pies, always quietly too. American endurance then was fortified by an ultimate national purpose. Hmm? Now, a divided country, efficient and far sighted government is necessary to overcome obstacles unprecedented in magnitude and global scope. Sustaining the public trust is crucial to social solidarity to the relation of societies with each other, and to international peace and stability. Nations cohere and flourish on the belief that their institutions can foresee calamity, arrest its impact, and restore stability. When the COVID-19 pandemic is over, many countries' institutions will be perceived as having failed. Where this judgment is objectively fair is irrelevant. The reality is that the world will never be the same after the coronavirus. To argue now about the past only makes it harder to do what has to be done. You get in the picture, folks. Hmm? The coronavirus has struck with unprecedented scale and ferocity. Although, personally, I think it's more noise in reality in most countries. Not them all, but in most countries. As its spread is exponential, and U.S. cases are doubling every fifth day. It was not quite true, actually. Because now they're lumping in um, untested people with the, stat- in the statistics, along with the statistics for COVID, by the way. I've got the articles about it from, from the top saying that. <laughs> At this writing, there is no cure. Medical supplies are insufficient to cope with the widening waves of cases. Intensive care units are on the verge and beyond of being overwhelmed. Testing is inadequate to the task of identifying the extent of infection, much less reversing its spread. A successful vaccine could be 12 to 18 months away. I mean, they never had one, remember, for the, when it was uh, any big, say, heavy flus of the past. But, uh, and we, we never had one given to us either for the SARS. You know. So what are they going to pump in, you wonder? If it keeps jumping strains and strains and strains then uh, into new strains, then you get the same problem with all the flus. So, uh, you know, it, it's just awfully... Well, no one really is, is taking this the way they're presenting it here. The U.S. administration has done a solid job of avoiding immediate catastrophe. The ultimate test will be whether the virus's spread can be arrested and then reversed in a manner and at a scale that maintains public confidence in Americans' ability to govern themselves. You understand what you just said there? And at a scale that maintains public confidence in Americans' ability to govern themselves. You're getting the picture here. See, he doesn't believe you. You, you. He's never believed you had the right to govern yourselves or the ability to govern yourself. The crisis effort, however uh, vast and necessary, must not crowd out the urgent task of launching a parallel enterprise for the transition to the post-coronavirus order. Leaders are dealing with the crisis on a largely national basis, but the virus's society dissolving effects do not recognize borders, while assault on human health will hopefully be uh, temporary. Uh, the political and economic upheaval has unleashed could last for generations. 
The political and economic upheaval it's unleashed could last for generations. You get an austerity, folks. You get an idea of austerity. No country, not even the U.S., can in purely national effort overcome the virus. Isn't that amazing? Addressing the necessities of the moment must ultimately be coupled with a global collaborative vision and program. Globally, if we cannot do both in tandem, we'll face the worst of each. Drawing lessons from the development of the Marshall Plan and Manhattan Project, the U.S. is obliged to undertake a major effort in three domains. First, shore up global resilience to infectious disease. See, they're not, they're not saying this one. They're saying this means all diseases, eh? infectious disease. Triumphs of medical science like the polio vaccine, here we go, and the eradication of smallpox, the emerging statistical technical marvel of medical diagnosis through artificial intelligence. Oh, that's really good, eh? The picture things with the idiocracy have lulled us into dangerous complacency. We need to develop new techniques and technologies for infection control and commensurate vaccines across large populations. Cities, states and regions must consistently prepare to protect their peoples from pandemics through stockpiling cooperative planning and exploration at the frontiers of science. So he's all totally on board with his pal Bill Gates and all that. You know. They're all on board because they're all the same club, you see. You know, the real managers of society, unelected. Then secondly, is to strive to heal the wounds to the world economy. And these will have learned important lessons from 2008 financial crisis. The current economic crisis is more complex. The contraction unleashed by the virus in its speed and global scale, unlike anything ever known in history, and necessary public health measures such as social distancing, closing schools and businesses are contributing to the economic pain Programs should also seek to ameliorate the effects of impending chaos on the world's most vulnerable populations. Then third, safeguard the principles of the liberal world order. What a joke. This, what does this man know about liberal world order? The founding legend of modern government is a walled city protected by powerful rulers, sometimes despotic, other times benevolent, yet always strong enough to protect the people from an external enemy. Enlightenment thinkers reframed this concept, arguing that the purpose of the legitimate state is to provide for the fundamental needs of the people, security, order, economic well-being, and justice. Individuals cannot secure these things on their own, and the pandemic has prompted an anachronism, a revival of the walled city in an age when prosperity depends on global trade and movement of people. The world's democracies need to defend and sustain their enlightenment values. A global retreat from balancing power with with legitimacy will cause the social contract to disintegrate both domestically and internationally. Yet this millennial issue of legitimacy and power cannot be settled simultaneously with the effort to overcome the COVID-19 plague. Restraint is necessary on all sides in both domestic politics and international diplomacy. Priorities must be established. And he goes back in the battle of the bulge in the world of growing prosperity. But well, we won't see that again because we're supposed to be post-industrial. Remember too, Maurice Strong with his, and the Club of Rome too, the same agenda actually, with sustainability where they, they went into the, the deindustrialization of everything, of the whole West, in fact, is what they wanted. But there's Henry, here's Henry. I like to hear him saying it himself, you know. He, he used to strain your ears. When I was like a child, he used to, he, he, you always have the presidents there, but he, he was always speaking on their behalf, you see. He was really running the country. 
and he, he come on, and, and in Britain, you know, he come on there too. And the Vietnam War was on, things like that. They'd say, "Well, Mr. Kissinger, uh, what what is your predictions of the future outcome of this war, and uh, and uh, the impact on America for the future?" And he would sit there, and everybody would just strain their ears, and he's. And no one had an idea what he was saying. Yeah. So they always had somebody afterwards to tell you after, after he was off the air what he'd actually said. And that's how it was. You know, it was astonishing. But it was, it, 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 was like a, it was like a famous, it was like a comedy act, but a famous man at the same time. It was just. Who knows if he actually said what the woman said afterwards, or the guy said? What he who, who knows if that's really what he said at all? Maybe he, he was just saying. <laughs> who knows? Eh? <laughs> but that's the characters they give you. It's like Brzezinski. He um, uh, and I put the link up years ago from a talk he gave. He, I mean, he literally went over to Afghanistan. Um, when the Russians were, were were in there and the whole thing, and you hear him saying to, to, to the tribesman, he said, "We're creating a holy jihad," and he's, he's got his fist up there in the, in the revolutionary pose and the whole thing. And these guys were were part of the same teams, you know, the same club, uh, changing the world you know, for the greater good. You understand? And it all somehow the a lot of pennies seem to fall in their own pockets in the meantime in the process, but that's just how it goes. But it's quite interesting little article, that one. And let me see now. Oh, I also put up the one by Rockefeller, you know, their group's uh, big plan, 2010. Uh, and their big uh, 2010 pandemic control. Uh, and their big exercise as well. Sweden just saw 77 new deaths. Hardly much at all. They're, they haven't shut anything down so far, as far as I know. And it'd be interesting to see where that one goes. And also, I want to put up modelling. As I say, Delling Poll in Britain goes on about Britain could suffer more than 60,000 coronavirus deaths by July, warns the Daily Mail. This is his article. He says, but there's a massive tell in the first sentence of the report, leading scientists say. So they don't tell you who. See, they're experts or scientists. That's, that's something to say now, you see. They can make it up as they go along. There's an even bigger warning in the second paragraph. Modeling by researchers. Researchers see modeling a computer at the University of Washington predicted 151,680 people would succumb to the virus across the continent. But it says, well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. No offense to the University of Washington, but when I see the phrase modeling by researchers, I know we are operating in the realms of purest fantasy. Because he says, I'm a climate skeptic and I've seen it all before. All the stuff about this climate is all done by the same, same guys that come up with scary scenarios and amazing, eh? Oh, oh my God, we're all going to die. That's how it's done, for those who don't know. Another article, too, is uh, I'll, I'll put some links up to National Vice. You understand another thing I realized, and, and it hit me the other day when I, I woke up and I, and I, and I took a breath out. <gasps> And you realize you're still alive, you see, you say, oh my God, I'm, al- I'm alive. And, and it hits you, like I said earlier, and most folk never think they're going to die. They don't think they're going to die. You know that. If you dwelled on it, you'd say, oh my God, I'm depressed. And you say, why do I'm going to die? When? I don't know. But that's how we are. It's a kind of safeguard. It's as, as a, as a mechanism that makes us just push ahead, you see. But we're all, because of that, you see, 
and even though we've had flu deaths in 50,000, 60,000, 70,000, sometimes more in previous flus that are pretty common, very common annual, no? and there's never a big fuss about it, except for the poor souls that, that die and the relatives grieving the whole thing. That's the, it's never mentioned generally. If it's mentioned, it's, it's meant just to terrify the public to get more authority over you for some reason or other. But anyway, as I say, when I woke up with that big gasp, you know, you inhale the air and, I'm a lie, it's you, you see. That we'd all forgotten. We'd all forgotten until this pandemic started that we die. Have you realized that? But here we are going along with our little lives and and, and then, and then, then, then suddenly, oh, we're all going to die. Suddenly, we're all going to die, and the media have boom, 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 boom. You know, scary, scary stuff, scary scenarios. And they showed you all these graphs that come out as computer models too. And and and, and, and even the, the the premier of Ontario said he, was, he wasn't going to use it, the, the the firm that he was using the graph on because it conflicted with the with the other politicians. They they're all different stories with with, with statistics because they all use different types of gathering information. Some of them lump um, pneumonia cases in with it. Some lump regular flu cases in with it. If they die with similar things, you know, lower respiratory problems, they'll lump it in as, as coronavirus, and yada, 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 yada. They did that with H1N1, and they were doing the stories at the time, when they were, they were told by the authorities in Canada just to do that, because they couldn't keep up with testing. So they're all fudged, you see. Mightily so, actually. And that's how bad it's become, eh? But I'll, so I'll put up some of these, just to remind you that, that death was, it's not a novel thing. It, it's, um, regards to the coronavirus being novel, this particular one, it, it, the, the National Vital Statistics reports, this is from the, the, the CDC, and it gives you annual deaths inside America, as an example, and it's got a whole list of, of what folk die of, right? And it's, it's really scary. Do you know that roughly, like like 2017, eh? All causes are deaths, which you never think about, eh? Because you hope you'll never get any of them. All causes of deaths: two million eight hundred and thirteen thousand five hundred and three people died. <gasps> oh, do you realise that's a hand buff in one year? That's got all the different ones, diseases of the heart, malignant neoplasms, accidents, and so on, chronic lower respiratory diseases, which is what we're talking about here. I mean, e- even with that, in 2017, 160,201 died. Mm-hmm. Then cerebrovascular diseases, and you've got 146,000. They're, they're climbing, too, with the cell phones, I'm sure, and all the tumors and so on. Alzheimer's is up there too. It kills a lot of folk. 121,000. Diabetes, of course. Mellitus, 83,564. And then again, you've got a separate one for influenza and pneumonia, see? And there are 55,000 for that. Now they're getting lumped in now, a lot of them, with the coronaviruses and so on. And it depends on which kind of study you're looking at. Mm-mm. It goes down the whole list of, of uh, deaths that recorded uh, in the U.S. by the CDC. 
And again, they had their, their lovely graphs and all that. And we like pretty, pretty pictures, don't we? And But yeah, when you realise that folk die, every year folk die, it, it, it really does terrify you. Mm-mm-mm. So when you do wake up and you, you have that gasp and we're... <gasps> You should be grateful. It's, it's, it's reminding you that life certainly is precious, especially when it's yours. And uh, I'll put up another one too. I want to talk about Washington State Coronavirus Field Hospital will be dismantled. I mentioned before how they're the big, big show from the movies. Eh? Oh, God, we're all going to end up in that hospital and get carried out the other end of it. Washington State Coronavirus Field Hospital will be dismantled without treating a single patient. I'd be terrified a lot of folk in the grave, though, when you saw that. My God, yeah. And, uh, as I say, we've all seen the movies. We all know what to expect now, don't we? And uh, they said never saw a single patient. And Good Friday, the entire field hospital be dismantled, it says. It's a massive army field hospital that hundreds of troops built inside a Seattle convention centre last week. And uh, as I say, it's nothing happened, so they're all going home. It says that uh, it took 300 soldiers from Fort Carlson, Colorado, and Joint Base Lewis McCord, uh, JBLM near Tacoma, Washington, built makeshift facility inside Central Link Field Event Center. We requested uh, this resource before physical distancing strategies were fully implemented and we had considerable concerns the hospitals would be overloaded with COVID-19 cases. Well, nothing happened. And that's the end of that one, you see. Yep. Quite some, eh? Quite something. And then we go into, let me see, let me see, let me see. An emergence from emergency. The case for a holistic, holistic economic recovery plan. And they're all in on the act together at the same time. All these different organizations are all part of the same club, actually, as I've said before. So as the club are wrong, climate change, biodiversity, loss and deforestation are contributing drivers behind pandemics like COVID-19. These cross-cutting challenges do not observe national borders and can be managed only through collective action, like the collective. You always see collective everywhere now, eh? The collective, collective societies. Wrote uh, Sandrine Dixon at the Cleve and Johan uh, Rockstrom. But Sandrine Dixon, I'll put the link for her up. You'll see her talking about Oh, she's in glee when she's talking about this. And... Um, She's co-president of the Club of Rome and co-founder of the Planetary Emergency Partnership. Sounds very official, but you didn't vote for that year, did you? And it says, uh, so that it's infecting millions of people around the world, claiming thousands of lives with numbers likely to rise exponentially in the coming weeks. The virus is also causing massive disruptions in the global economy and financial markets, amplified by a trade war on oil, which is already starting to cause economic hardship for people around the globe. But we fully commend the European institutions, the ECB, European, you know, the IEB and the member states for their swift efforts to confront the immediate threat of a virus. Can you imagine government being efficient at confronting anything? Eh? Really? Huh? Except lockdowns and stuff. That's all they can really do. Just, just the old strong arm stuff. 
It says, it says she commends him for the swift efforts to confront this this threat and direct well-needed capital, money, it's always money, eh? to economic recovery. We call on EU heads of state to ensure that recovery plans do not undermine climate neutrality pathways and European Green Deal objectives due to clear feedback loops that will impact future public health. See, it's, it's all the same agenda, folks, eh? It's important to acknowledge that the planet is facing a deeper and longer-term crisis, rooting in a number of interconnected global challenges. Recent research on the ecology of diseases suggests... Well, give, us, give us all this stuff. Lay out to us. It doesn't do it, you see. Recent research on the ecology of diseases suggests that climate change, biodiversity loss, and deforestation are contributing drivers behind pandemics, interacting with high levels of global travel, trade, and high-density living. Mm. Outbreaks of animal-borne and other infectious diseases such as Ebola, SARS and bird flu, now COVID-19, caused by a novel coronavirus, are on the rise. And this is only the tip of the iceberg. If it's on the tip of the iceberg, it would get frozen. It would, go into, it would be going to stasis for a century or two. So why don't we just create more ice? Like COVID-19, climate change, biodiversity, loss and financial collapse. And she's smiling the whole time. She's talking, do not observe national or even physical borders. These problems can be managed only through collective, that word again, collective action. And that starts long before they become full-blown crisis. They must be acted upon not as singular threats, but as a potential series of shocks and long-term risks to human health and livelihoods, economic prosperity and planetary stability as targeted by the World Economic Forum this year. See how they're all this partners in the same big club, eh? eh? The Club of Rome. The ones who gave, came up with the idea, because they were tasked with finding something to make us all be terrified and bring us all together, a, a big crisis. And they, and they actually said it, you know. And I've read that so many times. Where we came up with, we looked at all the different things that could terrify the public with and what would be more plausible. And they said we came up, we, we hit an idea that, that famine, plague, plague and famine and drought and so on would, would fit the bill, that man was the enemy of the planet. So man was the problem, that would fit the bill. That, so that's what they hit on. And that's what they stuck with ever since. Club of Rome. Yep. Now she's got a plague, without come famine and all the rest of it, you see. And lots of money. And the Green Deal should be Europe's new Marshall Plan. There you go. The whole agenda for sustainability and sustainable development goals. And don't think you're going to have, you're going to have prosperity, folks, because they want you in austerity. They're quite open about it. <laughs> But mind you, if they can make you believe certain things are, are the opposite of what they actually are, they can make you believe you're actually doing really well when you're living with rags on you. It's called wellness. How do you feel about it? I don't feel too bad at all, actually. There you go. There you go, folks. Eh? That's how it's done. So I'll put that one up. It's a, a little interview with, with Declave talking about it. And the green reboot after the pandemic and holistic economic recovery plan. Isn't that just wonderful? Eh? Sounds so quaint and lovely. It's for the good of us all, you know. Unless you've got allergies, green tends to get to you then. And uh, as I say, I'll put up the other links too for, for the woman who was arrested for being on a park bench. She'd, she should be up walking, you see. A short walk instead of just sitting on that bench there. Halfway to the store, for goodness sake. Yeah. And Canada, and Canada, right? 
guess what? Well, it's a surprise. The doctors are still waiting for the big surge of COVID-19 patients in the ICUs. Doctors, nurses and other staff who run the nation's intensive care units have feared for their own safety too amid shortages of protective equipment. So we're waiting for a big deluge of desperately sick patients whose whose strained resources to their limit and lead to desperate choices over how to ration care. Doctors, nurses and other staff who run the nation's intensive care units have feared for their own safety amid shortages of protective equipment. But perhaps surprisingly, some critical care physicians in the hardest-hit provinces say they have yet to face that feared surge of coronavirus sufferers. So far, at least, there's no flood and plenty of available ICU beds. The latest report from Ontario's critical care system on Friday showed just two additional coronavirus patients admitted to an ICU anywhere in the province the day before, despite having to treat over 530 confirmed or, or possible or see here you go confirmed or possible COVID nineteen people. <laughs> Almost seventy eight percent of the province's expanded intensive care capacity remained free. Quebec seen a modest eight to ten admissions to ICU over recent days and none at all from April seventh to April eighth. And uh, so this changed their schedules. It says ICU schedules three weeks ago to be on calls and this waiting, waiting, waiting. Oh well, there you go, eh? Didn't happen. And who else have we got? Oh yeah, Dr. Fauci. Fauci. Here we go. And I've got I've got the article here and where he actually said that. He said that it might just be another flu. Like another flu. Before he got on TV and said millions could die. That's right. And that was down to thousands. Now it's down to... Maybe even below flu levels now, I think. And it doesn't say it's not a shame for the folk who died, absolutely. Absolutely, you know. It's definitely an oddball one, there's no doubt about it, from the age group that it's hitting. And, uh, and uh, but again, too, we've had flus in the past, and I've got articles here in the past few years that come on similarly and hit very quickly and can kill rather quickly, too, with lower respiratory infections as well. This oddball disease is going around. Two of them were unnamed, in fact, in Canada and the States just a couple of years ago. Going out, and they, 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 they did notice and record it, but you know, there you go. And uh, fake corona data, it says in a few campaign, global research again. Don't let be misled by the fear campaign, it says. It says scientific assessments of the health impacts of COVID-19 have been withheld and they do not make the headlines. And they go into different ways of testing, etc., how they're padding the statistics. Oh, by the way, I'll put another link up as well. There was a doctor talking about the fact that oh, they're getting paid more. They're getting paid more to, to diagnose the patients as having COVID in the States. A lot more. And the, and, the, and the hospitals are getting about three times as much for the patient if they can, if they can bring them in, yeah, they went for a normal patient. Money, 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 folks, you wouldn't believe it. It's just, it's just incredible. It really is incredible. Right? Uh, uh, uh. Money is, is behind so much of everything and a reality. We live in a very corrupt time, a very incredibly corrupt time. Corruption seems to be the norm, really. Here's one here on 
where governments were looking for volunteers to go to New York. They made the big hit, oh my God, New York's going to get hit harder than anybody else and got to get volunteers and staff and so on. And um, some some volunteers came from Atlanta hospitals to New York. They were going to work for free, right? And uh, there were hospital staff. And people really wanted to help there. So it says, Bevan Strickland, a former pediatric ICU nurse from North Carolina, offered a similar account to the Times newspaper, describing her efforts to sign up as an unpaid volunteer online and via email, but getting no response from anyone. She ultimately got assigned to Mount Sinai, Queens, New York, but only after contacting the hospital directly and being instructed. You should volunteer, and this is how these volunteers, right? Been instructed to go through a private recruiting agency handling temporary hires. Now, that is, it's all people who know who. You understand for the hospital and stuff, somebody's got a big business here for the, for the temporary agencies that charge big bucks and stuff, you know. Everything's corrupt. Everything's corrupt, folk. So here's folk who are going to volunteer for nothing who have to go through uh, directed to an agency, right, a private recruiting agency, handling temporary hires. So she was going to work for nothing. Strickland was given a, a salary, listen to this, $3,800 a week, which is $3,800 for three 12-hour shifts. Right? Even though she said her plan was to do the work for free. I don't feel like I should be work, uh, walking out of this scenario with money, she told the Times. It feels wrong. Another one, too. Registered nurse Elizabeth Schaefer, 36 South St. Paul, Minnesota, left her home to volunteer in New York, where she says the situation inside the hospital is grim. And the one that she was in, she tells a story was really tough and the whole bit. But they're getting so many volunteers, and only, only a tiny fraction have actually been used. Only a tiny fraction of them have got any work to do. It says here that, uh, what it says, 90,000 medics signed up to volunteer at New York hospitals overflowing with coronavirus, but more, but more than 90% of them were still waiting to be called up and used. Well, how bad is it? You see what I'm saying here? Things don't quite tally up, do they? They don't tally up. I'll also put an article up about China. You see, China is a model state for the world, for those who never quite caught on to it. I used to give a talk years ago from the big boys themselves, always praising China as the model state we've all to adopt and, and copy, basically. And, and so here's Bill Gates pushing the very same systems they're using in China, like, and Germany's using them now, you know. That amid the coronavirus outbreak, Chinese citizens are reportedly being required to use a smartphone app that tells them where they should carry on as usual or report to a medical facility to be quarantined. It's called Health Code, that, one of them that they're using. There's other ones they use in China too. Some people sent me some articles about them from China. It says the $500 billion e-commerce giant Alibaba runs some of these apps and uh, it says they can go sign up through their uh, Alipay wallet app. And the Chinese tech giant has, has also has WeChat and reportedly partners with the governments to host a similar health code system on its app. So you have to show this wherever you go now, though. It's color-coded on your phone, and, and uh, green means that the user is free to travel, while yellow or red means they must be quarantined. The code is based in part on people's answers to an in-app questionnaire, but little else is known about how people are classified. 
leading to confusion and fear amongst those who receive a red cord, according to Reuters. If you get a red cord, your phone will automatically call the cops. <laughs> That's, well, this is what they, bring, what they bring here, folks. There you go. Well, don't forget, you see, something must we always remember, you see, China is still a communist country. And if you're going the same way as them, then you're, you're, it's because your rulers have decided it's the most efficient way to rule and use you all and get what they want to do and the system what they bring in in the future. And that's why they're doing it all. We understand all this. That we shouldn't be following China on anything right now. And even the, 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 the ridiculous, the, the, yeah, they're, they'll, they'll obey their leaders so quickly. The Chinas are very uniform that way, very, very unique that way. But, um, but no, um, we fought communism for a long, long time, even though, and they should never have fought in, in Vietnam, uh, America, because the communists were in America at the time. And that's where they were, in the government and the State Department. That's a fact. They never really left. And then the U.S. is getting used now as a big battering ram across the world to make everybody compliant, a globalized system. And at the same time, the leaders inside America are using the same system as China. Interesting, isn't it? The same people who signed you on and gave all your all your manufacturing to China. And they want you to copy them now? Well, I don't think we're designed to be a collectivist little little slaves, you know, as, as, as communist China is. Maybe it wouldn't work here, not the same way. Maybe for some people today it would, I don't know. Maybe look around you, you know. But, um, but no, not for everybody, definitely not. We can't go that way. That's disgusting, in fact, the very thought of it. And also, too, how doctors and so on are being warned not to ration the cares. To, to, they've been going overboard and just writing folk off with their bioethics now. This this new part that's been grafted onto healthcare, where they're well, just be practical about things, you know. And, and it's, it's all down to money and dollars and cents. And don't spend money on this one here when that one that, that person they may want to live another few years, and but this one here could live a few more, etc. Who's going to miss that one? Where this one's more important? That's more likely actually. That's how they really decide a lot of this stuff for those who don't quite know that. Um, it's disgusting. And we can't go that route. And, and as I say, uh, it's maybe time we start looking around to countries that won't be utterly authoritarian uh, permanently because that's what they want to do in, in, in North America and across Europe and Australia and New Zealand. Uh, they're, they're all under the same big club, by the way. Uh, it's nothing to do with what the system that you think you voted in is. It's completely way above that. <laughs> and they have their power. You see, they really run the country, the countries, they really do. Uh, so I'll put these articles up for those that want to peruse them. Uh, I hope I don't bore you all because um, there's a lot more I could have read tonight, in fact, uh, to do with... with this and other things related to it. I want to from the Greenpeace founder who has come out and said the global warming is a hoax, etc. That was completely hijacked by the same group we're talking about now. And that article, I've got to put this one in before I get off too. 
Hospitals would get paid more to list patients as COVID-19 and three times as much if the patient goes on a ventilator. I'm not kidding you here, folks. Uh, last night, Senator, and, and who's also a doctor, a medical doctor, Scott Jensen from Minnesota, went on the Ingram Angle show, I guess, to discuss how the AMA, American Medical Association, is encouraging American doctors to overcount coronavirus deaths across the U.S. This was after Dr. Scott Jensen, a Minnesota physician and Republican state senator, told a local station he received a seven-page document coaching him. Now, he's a doctor getting sent this, right? Coaching him to fill out death certificates with a COVID-19 diagnosis without a lab test to confirm the patient actually had the virus. Also disclosed that hospitals are paid more if they list patients with COVID-19. Money, 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 eh? See? But they put a, a diagnosis down, eh? And three times as much if the patient then goes on a ventilator. You know what that push for ventilators is? Okay. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm talking about, I'll put a link up for those who want to listen to the show. And and he lays it out there. He's an intelligent man and knows what he's talking about. Uh, it, it's quite something. Another article, too, from Canada and another one from the States, I think, similar where the ventilators are actually causing the hemorrhages in the lungs, a lot of them, because the, the lungs, once you get infl- inflamed with, uh, with this disease, get filled with blood very easily, uh, which stretches the, the very thin thin tissue uh, of the alveolar tissue, the little ear sacs, even thinner, uh, or makes them more, more fragile, you might say, too, because they're inflamed. And uh, when you put a slightly higher pressure in, they can actually enforce it and they can they try to force oxygen into the lungs through all of this to open up the, the alveolar pathways, basically, the, the tiny little ducts on them, on the sacs. And they're causing hemorrhages. And again, then they're, then they're finding that a lot of the patients are getting up with strokes, you see, because uh, they're getting clots. They end up in their, circling through their body and then up into the heart and the brain. So it's it's it's, it, 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 it's just astonishing. There, there are regimes for treating this that are not being used. I'm not talking about the ones you've heard. It's the the ones that are standard actually in, in hospitals to treat this kind of thing to stop the massive uh, attack on the lungs. Uh, you, it, you can pretty well stop it dead very quickly without a particular medication, as long as we're on antibiotics at the same time you stop bacteria from setting. But yeah, it's not being done. It's just amazing, isn't it? Now, just rather than bore you anymore, I just mentioned too that the last few nights I've gone down to about 10, 15 degrees on the Fahrenheit scale because of global warming, you know, that day. At least the snow has been melting gradually and it's getting quite, getting scarce now, which is good. I had, a, I had some the other day, mind you, but it didn't last that long. I just mentioned before I get off that uh, I thank the people who keep in touch because it's, I like to know what they're doing, if they're surviving, including all the things that happen with people because there's little things in life that make us human, isn't it? We're all making mistakes and doing things and things happen to us and, and how they're doing in their families and all that kind of thing. That's what, thing, that's what life is about, really, you see. Uh, real, real life, that's what it's about. So I thank them for getting in touch with me. And, and again, sending them occasionally links and so on, and stories that are happening in their own lives is interesting to know uh, because that's what real real stories are. People that are experiencing things like the a person who went to Walmart and noticed the tape and everything, and uh, I could kind of visualize it, what it's like. And they're told to stand here, and there's little crosses on the floor taped down. 
that you, you can't you move. By the way, uh, Walmart apparently, at least in some places, has cordoned off the areas going into where the seeds are for growing vegetables, you know. Now, why would they do that? Eh? Well, it's because you can't be self-sufficient. They want everybody locked down and, and dependent on a rationing system that's coming in. Obviously. Why else would you cordon off the seeds? If they could stay home, they could stay home and do a bit of gardening, for goodness sake, surely. But then they might have their own food, then, eh? Independence is uh, antagonistic to totalitarianism, you know. Remember, too, you can help me take along here by donating to me, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You find out to list all the other sites I have listed on that one site. That's on all my official sites. And uh, you find out how to use PayPal or whatever, or, or cash, or a check to send cash my way. And help me tick along, because it does, as I say, I've got a bunch of websites there. And and they're heavily used, believe it or not. They're really heavily used by it. I, I hear people come on the big talk, some of the big <laughs> so-called talk shows. And literally using my stuff verbatim, you know, every every week from my archives. It's just interesting to see that. And uh, and then telling you that you're, you hear it there first from their show. <laughs> Breaking, that's quite a joke. But that's how life is, isn't it? There's no honour in, in the, the so-called, uh, what used to be alternative media. They're just political movements. You'd be surprised how much out there is actually managed by forces you have no idea about, folks, you know, honestly. I say nothing is allowed to come from the grassroots. If it is, you know, you get bought off or, or excised out of it. As simple as that. So anyway, help me out and, and uh, send a few a few bucks my way, and hopefully I can keep going here too and keep you informed about what's happening, where it's supposed to go, and the characters that are all getting together to make sure it goes into their totalitarian world, world state. And then then you know things make sense. Is they keep stretching? Oh, it might be another another month. Oh, it could be another two months. It might be six months. Lockdown, you know, could go in the next year, you know, because you know, they're not going to waste this this big opportunity where it's been made by them in the first place or not. It makes no difference. They're never, they're not going to waste that. Believe you me. So for myself, and I hope you're all doing well and and, and getting through this one way or another. I really hope you are. I'm Alan Watford, Canada, and it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.